Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. On today's show, songwriter and performer Ken Queter. But I'm playing, I'm giving everything I got, you know? And like sometimes I feel like there's cramp where my heart's at, and I'm going, am I going down, you know? Because I'm 65, supposed to be 66, and I, I'm thinking like, I don't give a fuck. I'm like, I'm not stopping, you know? I feel the cramp, it feels like it's caught, it's going towards the heart, I'm fucking. I'm going down. I don't give a fuck, you know. I'm going to go down like I want to go down. I'm going to go down in some fucking assisted living joint. So. <laughs> Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. Here we have conversations with artists, writers, and musicians about their lives and work. We can be found along with past episodes at SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher under Fun to Know Podcast, always with the numeral two. You can find photos and more about our guests on the Fun to Know Podcast pages at Facebook and at Twitter, and we'll be delighted if you'll take a minute to leave a review for the show on iTunes, or just send me a note with your thoughts through Facebook. Thanks again for listening. A quick announcement before today's show. My film appreciation classes at Fleischer Arts Memorial in South Philly continue, tying in with the Philadelphia Museum of Art's 60s Invasion exhibition in early July. We'll be taking a look at the 50-year anniversary of one of the most fascinating 12 months in U.S. cinema history with a class entitled The Revolutionary Cinema of 1968. Films both about revolution and revolutionary themselves, our screenings will include Michael Anderson's If, George Romero's influential zombie epic Night of the Living Dead, John Cassavetti's Bracing Faces, and Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, all digitally projected in Fleischer's beautiful sanctuary space. All the classes I've led over the last couple years have led to fascinating conversations afterward. To find out how to enroll, go to Fleischer.org. Now, on to our third appearance of musician Ken Queter. Queter, who appeared previously in episodes 6 and 7 and 30 of this podcast, has been a beloved fixture of the Philadelphia music scene since rising up from Philly streets in the mid-70s with his band The Secret Kids. In his first episode here, we talked about his near brush with national attention and its come down, but Ken's real triumph is his unwavering dedication to live performance, playing 100-plus gigs every year for decades and being one of the freest souls you'll ever meet. On today's show, we talk about his influences and legends like Captain Beefheart, The Stones, and Bob Dylan, whose performances he has witnessed over the decades. We talk about what still drives him at 65, his near-unbelievable stories from a lifetime spent singing in bars, the era of Trump, the Me Too movement, modern audiences, and the glory of dying on stage. First, let's hear a cut from the Hooters' David Usikinen's In the Pocket Project, where Usikinen and his band recorded famous songs from Philly's rock and soul catalog. Among the OJs and Dead Milkmen covers, Usikinen chose an early Queter song, Man on the Moon, to record with Zuzu Mansoor on lead vocals. Then, into our ridiculously entertaining conversation with Ken Queter, who, as I was still setting up the mics, went into a story of opening up for Patti Smith, in 1975. One, two, one, two. 
be afraid of the man on the moon He's only stuck on your TV On your TV On your TV On your TV He might be large But that doesn't count Yeah, because I, I remember, well, I mean, I did a thing with Patti Smith, and he did, I mean, he did a number of things on there. Well, tell, tell me about the, what did you do with Patti Smith. I don't know if I've ever gotten that story out of you. You didn't know about that one? I don't think so. Huh. It, we did a gig, it was about 1974 at Glassboro State College. Yeah, Pat, Patti Smith, we didn't do well together. Uh, it was in uh, 1974 or 75. 
it was May 3rd, I think it was May 13th, 1975, because I have a poster, I think, I think it was in May of, of uh, 1975. We were uh, booked together. Fischer was running the, the, the booking council over at Glassboro. Yeah, yeah. So he was always on top. He was coming up, Tom Waits and all these guys. So in seven, by 75, she'd already, I guess, recorded and... and uh, not, well, no, no, I, I think... This is pre that. It, it could have been 74, but I was working... Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it's 76, maybe Horses is. I'm not sure. I'd have to look at the thing because it was like she had not yet recorded an album because she was only with uh, Lenny Kay. Okay. It was just her and Lenny. I don't even think there was a drummer. It was really early to em- embryonic, you know. And I had to see had the original Secret Kids, Artie Tripp, George Napkin, Franny Welding, and myself, you know. And we were um, at Glassboro and excited because it was like, you know, it was the beginning of like. Like this was my my rock thing, you know, and we were playing with somebody named Patty Smith, who Al said you're going to really love her. She's great, and she's coming sort of where you're coming from. And I, I think I had heard her name because, Mar- you know, because I knew Marty, and but I wasn't paying much attention, and, you know. But the, you know, we're there late in the afternoon. And the show was starting at eight o'clock, and uh, I was going to go on first, and then she would go on because she was the headliner, uh, you know. But prior to the showtime, there was a backstage area, you know. And I remember, I was like, I don't, not, not, I was not really a big pot smoker at that point. I was always having, starting to have problems with marijuana, but I, I smoked some pot, you know. And then I got really, you know, you start laughing and all that shit. <laughs> so what happened is, her, it's almost say that like we were over here and she was over there, like it was a couch, just like you have a couch. So, but the couch, like I decided to move the couch out of the way, so. We could all be egalitarian. You know? <laughs> really, I mean, I was like, going, we're all equal. I know she's a headliner, but from where she's coming from, she's going to go for this. Well, she didn't. <laughs> she, she, she's like, who the fuck moved the, the, you know, the divider? And I'm like, going, I did, you know. I thought you'd dig it. I don't fucking, like, she didn't dig it, man. There wanted to be a separation between Queter and Patty Smith. So I got so fucking pissed. I smoked more weed. And then I started hitting these chords and I started writing a song about it right there right <laughs> so what happened is I just I was like cognitive dissonance is going like how can this person be so mean you know and like and like because I heard she was really cool you know so we go out on stage and I grabbed like a I, like a, I saw a green alligator like a plastic da alligator and then I came out with it and it was only like five people in the audience there was like couple sprinkled at the top and then right in the middle there was an older gentleman and, and an older woman you know they obviously you know they were they were way older than any of us you know so then I was like wait shaking the alligator at them and talking to them yeah there's a tape of this somewhere that does exist and um and then I started to go into uh, the Patty Smith song that I wrote called, Patty's on the Smith, Smith is on the Patty, Patty's on the Smith, now Smith is in the alley, right? You know, and I'm singing it directly to the older folks right in the middle. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm like really screaming and, and the band's doing things and George Napkins doing this kind of really high-pitched wail. For It's it only like two minutes long, this, this, this like vamp on Patty Smith. And then like, you know, then that, and then I went into the whatever songs we did back then it was like a 35 minute set and then i left you know and, and then we went backstage and then she goes on stage so i watched a little bit of it lenny k was playing a guitar 
And I thought, you know, it's interesting, you know, even though she's mean, very mean. <laughs> you know, so, so, um, um, so the show's over. And then the next thing I know, I see the older folks talking to her. And it was her parents. Was I was singing directly to the parents, Patty's on the Smith is on the pad, not having any idea that I was singing directly to the parents. And I'm thinking, they're thinking, what kind of job has my daughter got with people like this, you know? So yeah, that's my Patty Smith. I had a feeling that might be them because I, I went to Glassboro State. I know that they famously lived in, in Pittman. They must have lived like less than a mile from uh, the campus where you were performing. Yeah, yeah, because so. she was from Pittman. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she came to school. I had an English teacher who said that the English teacher recounted when, when the English teacher was this naive young woman who'd come down to teach at this rural school, and when she first got to town, she saw this girl who looked like a witch who was in a black cape and was dressed all in black, and it was young Patty Smith who was there. <laughs> Going yeah. to school, and she went to school briefly at Glassboro State. Okay, yeah, okay, because yeah. I knew that she was from Pittman, and I knew that wasn't too far away, so I guess, so that this was one of her first shows. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... Uh, I mean, she might, might have, uh, you know, had a little bit of a, a bee in her bonnet about coming back to her old university, you could know? could have been, yeah, you know, um, I just always remember that, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, but, I mean, she's out there still doing it she, you know, yeah yeah she's still doing well, it. one of the things i was thinking maybe i wanted to talk to you about today is we've we, we've uh, you know covered a lot of the history of your career and i know there's a lot of stories to be told for sure but i was curious uh, about your 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 influences and that you've really been the had the front row seat of a lot of rock and roll over the years because of your uh you know position here in the philadelphia music scene and in the area scene you've you've gone to a lot of shows and you've really uh, been in the presence of a lot of the greats of rock and roll yourself uh, as a fan and as a uh, someone who's uh, you know admires musicians and music uh, uh, you know over the years who have you seen that's really in- impressed you well i mean i mean at the very top i mean it's kind of a it, there's like a tie i mean it's like like the ziggy stardust tour i saw that and that first happened i it, it was just like on it was like there was no words to describe it, it where was, was he performing he was he at the tower around. theater i saw him tower at the tower theater, theater. Okay. and um uh, I was pretty out of control. I was literally thrown out of the building uh, because I was, I, it was, to me, it was like a religious experience, you know. So then I, I snuck back in, too, by the way. This is the early 70s? That would have been 73. Wow. Or 70, no, maybe whenever Ziggy came out, uh-huh. you know, yeah. 72 or 73. So That's right. that was really unbelievable. And then right there with that. What, what made him stand out from other people that was around in the context of 1970? Because. Uh, uh, you know, he was really, you know, really influential to uh, so many acts that came around that time. You know, he really seemed at the forefront of that whole glam thing. Yeah, I, I had not, I'm sure it did exist prior to them, but I mean, the show was just put together as well. The songs were ridiculous. They were just first class songs. I mean, the stuff off Hunky Dory and um, Ziggy that he did, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, five years and, you know, of course, Ziggy Stardust and all that. It was just like, I'd never heard anything like that. Now, you know, it just seemed to me it was like the next sequence. If Dylan hadn't had the motorcycle accident, this probably, this might have been what could have come. Because the songs were really rooted in pretty deeply, the writing was so disciplined. It was incredible. I was thinking it, it, it's uh, bringing, uh, seemed to me, theater influences into, yeah, the into theater. music. It was much more like a, you know, a, a Sondheim show tune kind of thing. You know, the sort of storytelling that, that goes on in those songs. It's very, still very oblique and uh, yeah, and abstract as well. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, to me, this it was the songs, but I I, I appreciate the theater too. You know, yeah. and uh, so 
I was into that whole like that thing, but then I mean, right? Before, I was also at the same time before that for a couple of years into Captain Beefheart. You know, I was into yeah. Frank. Sal- I met all these, every one of these guys I met. I didn't meet Bowie, but but all, I hung all, out with, all of them gone too. They're all gone. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so I mean, Zappa was unbelievable influence. I was in high school. I saw him not, several times, and then Captain Beefheart. I it was like I was devout Beefheart fan, and I. When he would come to town, I, my mother would cook food. I would bring it to him backstage because I got to be friends with Rocket Morton, who was his bass player from the Magic Band. So they would let me backstage, you know. So they, they were, but those shows, Beefheart, like uh, after I saw him right after, like um, lick my decals off, baby, like because uh, Troutmaster Replica had come out, but I don't think he, I didn't see any tours yet, did I? But yeah. lick my decals. I mean, that was like the essential. Those couple albums are like. And he came out, and it was nothing like that guy. So the, that was unbelievable. Zappa was unbelievable. Bowie was unbelievable. I mean, so those, you know, those were pretty incredibly influential things to me. When, when did you first meet Rocket Morton? I met him at the Spectrum, probably 1970. <laughs> the Captain Beefheart's playing the giant hockey arena uh, yeah. Spectrum. <laughs> he was opening for John Sebastian, who was still riding high from his performance at Woodstock. Sure, yeah. So. You know, so I'm I'm there for Beefheart, right? So I'll tell you the story. So I get so so like I am like dying to get backstage. Anyway, so when they finished their set, I, I somehow I was like I don't know I locked eyes with um what's his name Rocket Morton was he was near uh, an entrance or something and I'm like waving and he goes he waved me up so I go man I'm like a big fan and he goes come back I'll bring him back I was like this was unbelievable you know <laughs> so I'm going to go backstage so I got you know I got the meat. The band and 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 Zudon Rollo. I mean, before even this is fucked up. He even drew me two pictures. Like he took out his notebook and wrote. He drew me these two oh, wow. like illustrations and gave them to me, <laughs> which I had for years. I don't have anymore, which I'm so fucked up because they're, right, they're probably, probably worth money worth now. a lot now. You know. So, but but the thing is, one of the first things before it says, he goes, I said I said, did you meet John Sebastian yet? Right, and he goes. <laughs> I thought I saw a rainbow walk by earlier in the day in the hallway. Because <laughs> Sebastian would wear it rainbow stuff. You know? So it was, like, and then, you know, I came, when it was over, I went out, I saw, the, after seeing Beefheart, Sebastian was just like, it was just, you know, just, it was like watered down bounce or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and then I would, every time he came to town, I got, and this is way before the internet. So you can do you believe in magic versus the magic band? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but it was it, that was really a thrill in my life, and I would continue to see Beefheart uh, every time he came to Philadelphia, and I would bring food that my mom had cooked and and, and bring it to the band. You know. Yeah. Where was he playing when he came to town? He in, did in those, in those years. I'll, I'll tell you exactly. What he did. The I saw him. I mean, I saw him at the Spectrum first. Then I saw him on Penn campus at the Irvine. Which was unbelievable, and uh, then I, I saw him. I saw him years later at the main point, and then I saw him. Uh, I'm trying to think, I saw like five shows, but yeah, they, yeah. but they were, by the time we cut the main point, which was like was after Moonbeams and Blue Jeans album, which was kind of like he lost the real Magic Band. Yeah, that yeah. was kind of sad, and and then I never much saw much more of a mainstream kind of sounding. Record. Yeah, it's yeah, like you a know, singer songwriter record or something. Yeah, there was a lot of input that that Magic Band brought to the table for the captain. Yeah, he never yeah. kind of it would because I kind of followed those guys, and I mean they really 
their songs were written by the captain, but I mean, they were the input. When yeah, band, when the collaboration. Left, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they left, it was. I, but for me, there is that that sort of second resurrection where, in, in the early '80s, with the post-punk thing, suddenly he got that new Magic Band, which had Gary Lucas. Oh, those guys were serious. And yeah, like yeah. It's, they, it seemed to catch fire again for me around that time. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because he had like. Um, I forget there's like Ice Cream for Crow. The, Ice Cream for Crow was the one that Doc at the Radar Station. Doc at the Radar yeah. Station. So, yeah. yeah, I'm hip to that. But I saw him, the last time I saw him was 1978 at my father's place in Long Island with uh, Kurt Loder and David Frick. We went together, all of us. We went oh, together. Wow. That's right. And, I knew you were friendly with Kurt Loder. The I didn't even know MTV him. I, I just reporter. met him. I didn't I, well, yeah. I knew David, you know. So, uh-huh. And David and I used to always talk about BFAR, like for years. Uh-huh. And then he told me that, uh, you know, he's coming to my father's place when we went. I got back. I went backstage, but by that time he had the different. It was a different band, and he was really surly. He wasn't. He was kind of like worn out. Oh, and then I saw him again. I saw him at uh, the em- Emerald City. Oh, even okay. after that, in 1981, with it used to be the old um, Latin casino. Latin casino yeah. yeah, I saw him there. He all he did was talk about Reagan, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> you know, on stage. And he kept calling Reagan, Reagan, and he in- he, in- he insisted to play in the dark like you couldn't see him it was like unbelievable <laughs> like we're all there we're trying to, you could sort of see him but uh uh he uh i saw i saw that show that was good i ended up hanging out with the drummer in a car after the show his name was rob robert williams yeah. and he was just telling us stories about the captain so i was like totally obsessed with the guy yeah yeah i mean he's uh, kind of the gift that keeps giving even though you know he did so many records uh you know they're they're endlessly sort of uh, engaging if once you tune into to where he's coming from and I still meet the young people all the time that you know suddenly uh, you know come come to life uh, listening to those those records. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, like just this week I was thinking about like the blush the the, the the dust blows forward the dust blows back. You know, it's like but I mean it's so true. I mean, like, there's like, you know, like the songs are. I mean, he also he was the first guy who really. He wasn't really on a pop pedestal or anything, but he was approaching it. He was the first guy to put out a total ecological album. I mean, the stuff that was referenced in Trout Mask, there's a couple songs in there. Yeah. Ant-Man B and stuff like that. And then when you get to Lick My Decals Off, that album, 80% of it, is all about ecology. Smithsonian Institute Blues, Come On Down to the Big Dig, and um, uh, Flash Gordon's Ape, You're in a Scrape, you know... You can't even count to one. You know, you don't even have to use your thumb, which is a reference to like the atom bomb. Like all these amazing songs, which are, you know, talking about how mankind was messing things up, uh, you know, with nature. He was a real nature guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I really. mean, surprised recently, uh, really knocked out by a record that came out with Gary Lucas, who was part of that second magic band, uh, recording with Nona Hendrix from LaBelle. Okay. And she said they, they sing all Catherine Beefheart songs. I read that. I didn't hear that stuff. Yeah, really. and yeah. she really, like, it seems like an odd pairing, but listening to this, you know, older black R&B singer sing his songs, like, she really brings him to life. What would she do? Any songs you can remember? She oh, do? yeah. Uh, my my uh, Head is My Only Home Unless It Rains. Yeah. Uh, when Big Jones sets up. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, hot Dog... Uh, Oh, a tropical hot dog night. Tropical hot dog oh, yeah, night. Man. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> when she's you know yelling like you know uh, I'm uh, I'm bringing the monster out you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's amazing. It's a, it's yeah, I read record. about that. I didn't hear that, so I have to check that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. So I mean, that stuff was like, you know, that was to me. I mean, beef art. I mean, I was always into Zappa, but when Zappa he gave a interview on 
WHYY back in 1968 or 69. Wow. And he kept talking about this Captain Beefheart guy. And I, I immediately went, I went to, and then I, you know, then um, I do, but I, it was like pre-internet, but you'd figure things out. Then I found out a guy named Meatball Fulton, who was a DJ on WHYY. You know who, who he was? I haven't heard his name at all. Man. Look him up, Meatball Fulton. He was really on things, and he went out to the desert and tracked the captain down, and he taped him on a, on a cassette, oh, wow. and he played it. It was like, because it was like, I was at home, I was like, you know, it, it, it was, you know I listened to that thing, and I, you know, and then I went to WHYY, and he lent me that tape. That, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and it, it's got all those, like, fav, some of those famous quotes, like, there's only five people in the world, there's only... There's only ten people in one. Five of them are hamburgers. Like yeah. there's all these great quotes, <laughs> and he goes, "You got to bring it." So I brought it back to him, but I, of course, I made a copy. But yeah. I ended up like I ended up memorizing that whole interview. Uh, but Meatball Fulton, his real name is Tom Lopez. Huh. Really, look him up. I think he's still alive. But Meatball Fulton was huge guy uh, on the radio, like under super underground. You know, yeah, back yeah. in those days. Yeah, radio so ephemeral. You know, there's there's a. Uh, you know, amazing work that gets done that just you know disappears into the airwaves. And nowadays, like, yeah, things cancel. Each, can't things keep canceling each other out? Because a lot of it's really some. There's so much great stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff, but even the great <laughs> stuff, it's like paradoxically canceling out the other great stuff. It's really, it's you know, it's really weird. It is very weird that that all the stuff that you really, you know, I had to make special you know treks to special record stores to get these special you know totems and stuff. And, and now with the all of history sort of available at once on the computer, it makes it for a very different landscape, you know? Yeah, um, it drives me a little nuts because it kind of, it almost inadvertently, it almost evens out. It, I mean, those things aren't even. Some of these things aren't even, but it kind of evens them out. Like, like it'll be some historical events, you know, like, on, that's not even with that, you know? <laughs> but it's almost like, like we used to be dealing in prime numbers, like life it was like one, you know, <laughs> two, you know? And then, like, with the internet it's like now we're dealing with like infinite number of fractions yeah, it's like yeah. they're all coming at you and you're you're trying to grab the best fraction but but those other fractions are really good too they're you know they're like <laughs> fractions of existence or something i mean I'm not, yeah, but, yeah yeah but but yeah but yeah so but look up that meatball fulton meatball guy. fulton yeah tom lopez he's still around you know yeah. i don't read books because they're square they don't go in very easy. Unless they do go in, they're a controller because they have lines. I don't believe in straight lines either, or any lines. I believe in circles. And I have to believe that way or I'd, I would fall apart. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. At least if I wasn't controlled, if I believed that way, I'd fall apart. And you see, I don't think that there's, pardon me, a controller or a controller. You know who told me that? A flower, believe it or not, with a bug in the middle of it. <laughs> Watch out for flowers with bugs in the middle of them. I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're like significant cats. I mean, I met Roger Miller, to me, a, a huge... I mean, I got to hang out with him before yeah. his show in 1992. He was at Valley Forge Music Fair. I waited 
for him to sh arrive before he got to the building. And I, I met him, you yeah, know, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I told him, I said, meeting you is like meeting the Beatles in 64, you know. <laughs> and he, he was very kind, just really kind. Because, like, I mean, his stuff really influenced me, you know, because I listened, I have all his stuff mem memorized, yeah. you know, all his songs, you know. So, great, great songwriter. You've seen Dylan a lot over the years. I've seen, yeah. I, I can't say that any, the, the Dylan shows, as much as I love Dylan, I mean, to me, like, I saw the 1974 show, and that was great because it was the first time I ever saw him. So he they had the band then? Or? He had the band, yeah. yeah. But they don't compare to, to the video I see Dylan in the 60s. It just doesn't compare. And nor does it compare to seeing Captain Beefheart or uh, David Bowie in their, you know, in their prime. Yeah. Because I, when I, by the time I saw Dylan, he was, like, he was still you know, Dylan, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't when Dylan was possessed. He was, he was only semi-possessed. Yeah, yeah. There's something that's sort of less direct about a lot of that work, I, feel, I kind of feel like, in the 70s. Or, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some great stuff, but it's not as possessed as the stuff in the 60s. Yeah. And I'm only interested in possession, you know? witchcraft, you know, that whole bit. Extra know? electricity. Yeah, you know, just, you know, the thing that's, like, otherworldly, you know. He was otherworldly. Because you know, when you look at some of that stuff, like, uh, Don't Look Back or the... 66 tour i mean that stuff is like it's possessed you know? yeah yeah it's so, funny one of the names that comes up that that makes sense but somehow like isn't intuitive but you see it even in, in the descriptions of the day where they say there's something chaplain-esque about him oh you mean nowadays and no years ago oh, when he was a then, young yeah. man like chaplain like there was something about his physicality and everything that reminded you of you know one of the most magnetic performers of all time charlie yeah, chaplin you yeah know? yeah that, that was thrown a lot yeah because yeah. He did like a bit of a stutter step and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, I mean, that took off. I mean, it was probably just a little tiny bit of him, but, uh, yeah. but that became a pretty popular phrase, you know, uh -huh. of, of all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, like, it, I mean, Dylan was great in 74, but after that, it's like, it, it's like, it's too much. Like, I can't, I mean, I, I could go on and on about like disappointments at his shows. <laughs> like, uh, it, it would be a little long, but well, there's there's recently been a a, a a release and a lot of talk about his gospel years in around 1980 when he did the when he was born again and uh, got to serve somebody and saved you know those records. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm curious what your reaction at the time to I, that I, whole era. I'm no longer I, I uh, it, I'm not phased by those. It's revisionist history. You know, it's like it's like. But you were talking about before a politician. Everybody's like, "Oh, he's a good guy. Like he was a <laughs> cocksucker, but now he's a good guy." Like, like the 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 whole that whole born again stuff. I I listened to. I had, I was living with a friend of mine who was had you know he had all the Dylan stuff, and I I sat down and listened. I just couldn't get it, man. And I just thought it was pretty. Um, I mean, they were great players, but to me, they were hack players. They were just great players, but they weren't. I mean, like. A little I mean, bit of Steely Dan getting in there. Somehow it was like Steely Dan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was like Bob Dylan was Steely Dan, which they it doesn't make sense to me. Um, so yeah, I'm not gonna like all of a sudden go. Oh, that was great when it was bad to begin with, and then it's even it's it's even more painful for me to listen to. I mean, like I mean, you got to serve somebody. It's kind of cool. I'm glad he got a hit record and and all that, but uh, it's not. I mean, you, to go back in time and listen to that stuff, it, it just, it's hackneyed or it's like, it, it's really, the only way that I would forgive him 
is if he came out and said it was all a big joke because yeah. it's fucked up. <laughs> I'm just, I can't get it. You know? I mean, it was a real head scratcher that he'd suddenly, uh, you know, this is at the time I think when like Jerry Falwell was getting in the news yeah. and stuff, and the fact that he would suddenly attach his wagon to the born again thing yeah. uh, seemed, you know, uh, you know, I, I can see where the eyebrows were raised. Yeah, I ran into a guy recently, way younger than me, of course, everybody is, but he was saying like he grew up in a, a Christian household. And his first exposure to Dylan was one of those records. So he, in his mind, always thought Dylan was a crit. He, he had no idea there was like, you know, 10 years, 15 years before that, that he just figured Dylan was a, like a, a Christian. Because that was the only music that was permitted in this the household. Then he finds out there was a different scene altogether. But yeah, I mean, like, hey, you know what? I, I'm always going to wish well for Dylan. I mean, he's so great, but that I can't go back and, you yeah, know, yeah. and, uh, in a knee-jerk fashion, go. It, it sounds better now because yeah. it, it just doesn't. I mean, God gave names to all the animals. Oh, <laughs> I'm oh. going to call him a frog or whatever. Because I used to. Because the guy who lived down. We, we lived in the same house. He used to play that fucking yeah. song, and I used to like get a light reggae beat going. Oh yeah, on get the reggae. Too. And then Budokan came out <laughs> after that, and I was like. What is? This? Do you ever hear that one live at Budokan? Live at Budokan, yeah, yeah. Oh that's a, man, that's a tough one. He, he's got the all I really want to do, but it sounds like uh, 59th Street, the groovy song, feeling groovy. It's like dun 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 dun. dun, dun. All I, it's like it's the exact same melody as Paul Simon's, too. but but he's got a full band behind him and he's got the chick singers, yeah. which was it was insane. Vegas is what, what it was a Vegas thing. Up. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, but but. Yeah, I mean, I I saw a lot of that stuff, and uh, like I'm always going to be there. I mean, I'll, I can't go anymore. I just, I just, it just can't go. Uh, I mean, I, this, I saw him at the uh, at the electric factory like 14 years ago, and it was uh, and it was so bad. And but I was listening to the people next to me going, "Oh wow, he just moved his left elbow!" Like, wow, you know, that must be great. Like, like he's facing the audience. Yeah, there's an incredible train spotting going on that we're. You can log in and find every single song from every single show and yeah, every single. Yeah, but it's, it's like I'm like, yeah, mandolin tape took a took a solo this yeah, this night. You but know? but the thing I noticed at the gig at the Electric Factory like 14 years ago is that like he was cross harping every song. So every song that used to be straight up harp uh-huh. was turned into like a blues dirge with a um, really like redundant uh, cross harping on it. Which I don't know. If, what do you mean cross harp? Cross harp is like it's more like it's a blues. It's like um like like um. Like, uh, I mean, like, you know, like Muddy Waters, they, 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 all, they, all blues guys did all cross-harping, but uh-huh. the cross-harping fit perfect within the world that they were doing, yeah. and it still fit, it fits perfect, John Mayall, it still fits, it fits perfect with anybody today if you're doing a blues thing, but he was doing like, he was doing songs that were not blues and cross-harping, so what it does, it takes all the oxygen out of the song, uh-huh. my, that's my perception, so the songs, and then they were just it was really he was basically and i i i I, sort of intentionally fucking up these songs that's what i thought you know but everybody near me is like reading into wow you know it's like you know like wow he's playing harmonic like 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 what do you mean wow it's (laughs) fucked up you know so so i left there i remember i left like 60 percent into the show and i went over to silk city i had to do a gig that night i had to do a gig i went (laughs) And you know it was uh, um, 
What's his name was bartending there? Rich Kaufman. Rich Kaufman was there. And he goes, hey, Queen, are you? I go, yeah, I just came from something. It was a torch. I got to get some drinks. I was on my way to a gig, you know. So I drank like five beers really quick to, to calm down. <laughs> got back in my car, drove to my gig, and I had a big PA system. I loaded every, like, because I was so mad of that show that I loaded all the shit out of my car, up these steps, through the building, on stage, and put on the best show I possibly could <laughs> in order to sort of like to um, defy what I just saw. I was going like, that, you know, I'm moving equipment, I'm exhausted, <laughs> I'm pissed off, but I'm going to fucking do a great show, and then I'm going to load this equipment back out, and I'm going to drive home. Because you, if you if you care about your audience, you do it. So, yeah. I mean, I was really pretty... Yeah, I mean, I, that, I was, I remember Kaufman, he's just like, wow, you're like pissed off. I go, yeah, man, you know, and I'm doing a gig, I'm going to do a great gig, you know, yeah. Wow, what do you think about him in recent years? I mean, I, I've really, I don't listen to his, his radio program, I know a lot of people know him as the radio show host. He, he had that for a couple and years. And then ago. as a, America's foremost interpreter of the music of Frank Sinatra, I guess, is his thing these days. I don't know if he's just a foremost, but he's an interpreter, you know. <laughs> uh, another... Um, you know, it's almost like if you're going to go to the Louvre and the Mona Lisa's there, yeah. but the last year or so, everybody's putting bubble gum on it, right? <laughs> like, and you're like, yeah, I know there's a picture behind this frame here, you know? That's what's going on. <laughs> the bubble gum, it's like, it's bizarre. It's like, it's psychotic. I mean, you know, it's like, I said to Paul Grillo, we're talking about Paul, because I was asking him the same question. I said, what do you think of what Dylan's doing now? And, you know, Paul is a, you know, love the Dylan whole thing, and he goes, he goes, Ken. He goes, people get to be a certain age, and they they become manic. He goes, he's become manic. He's manic. I mean, that, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm, I I still love what he's done, but I mean, like, I I'm not going to buy into that chapter. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's he's given us incredible stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. even like he did do an album of, of Christmas, uh, Christmas. He did. I thought well. that was kind of fun. Some of that stuff, I, I could, I would much rather go for that. You know. I imagine all this uh, maybe not going down so easily with a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Peter Stone Brown. Is when I, when I think of people that are major Dylan fans. Yeah, he, well, he kind of like he accepts it. You know, uh, he's a huge fan, uh, but he, he he doesn't say anything like uh, bad words about about yeah. Bob. Um, yeah, he accepts it probably in a wider f stop on the camera. You know, like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, there are people that that really have that sort of religious fervor towards him. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, I have I have some dear friends that have just seen him, and they love. I mean, they love it. I'm like, I you know, I don't see. Uh, you know, I'm, all I know is like, I know that when it, you like, it, it's like you may not like Mick Jagger, or you might fucking not like Keith Richards, but and they might be doing the same fucking hits, but when they hit the stage, it's life and death with these guys, you know? And, like, when Dylan comes on stage, it's like he's on the couch or something. He's sitting down now, too. It's like sitting down. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, somebody said they saw him stand up, but that was like announced. It was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, but there's a lot of folks that they, they, yeah. they love it, but, uh, I, you know, I kind of, you know, I maybe because I'm a performer and I put a lot of pressure on myself, I just feel like he should put more pressure on himself because I, I I don't buy into the fact that he cannot sing those melodies anymore because yeah. if you hear him talk, his voice is not injured. He has, he has no injured voice. He does that. That's kind of a, what do you call it? I mean, Johnny Mitchell talked about it a couple of years ago. It's like he's adopted a persona, 
Uh, did you ever see her interview? Uh, no, I don't I, think so. She, she's going like, you know, now he's that guy. He's no longer Bob. He's like, he's adopted a persona. He's like the, the uh, he works in a mausoleum. He looks like Vincent Price. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got this thing, yeah. So, I mean, like, so, but like, it, it, it's like, you know, it, it's it's it's, in a, it's a role he's playing. Yeah, know? And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, His be- vocal style has gotten to the point where I've, I've, found it more alienating than yeah, I can't get it. attractive I mean, yeah and, and i mean i love captain beefart's voice you know which is like the most insane but this to me is it's even weirder you know yeah because i know you know i mean i mean tom waits i mean tom waits did some things too i i didn't dig but uh but uh um but you know i don't i don't get it the other thing the really nutty thing is is like frank sinatra was known to be a great song song what so and Dylan's mind, he's thinking, what guy is considered one of the great vocalists of all time? And what guy is considered one of the worst? So <laughs> let's get the guy who sings the worst, try to do the guy who had the best voice, and completely alienate and disappoint everybody. It's like it's like a win-win. It's, it's, yeah, I don't get it, man. And like uh, the sooner he stops it, I, I mean, I went to see him in New York. And I got a chance to get backstage and hang out with the band. You can't, you don't get to meet him. But yeah, what's, who's in his band at this point? I forget. I, I, I would say, I mean, there's something. I, I end up hanging out with all these guys. I yeah. mean, he still has the same bass player. Uh, I mean, they're all. I can't remember. Yeah, I remember Charlie. The, the Charlie Sexton's in, Charlie is in there. Sexton, I, yeah. I hung out with him, and then uh, the bass player's been with him for 25 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and these guys were all wonderful, just beautiful cats, you know. And uh, went, that was before the show. And then I watched the the first. There's two. There's an intermission, right? <laughs> so the first half, like, uh, it was all Sinatra, and it was like I was turning to people next to me. I go, "What song is this? I don't know, but it's great." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> it's, I don't know, but it's great. That's pretty. I guess that's called I don't know the quality control kind of thing." But but uh, so then it was intermission. So then I went backstage again, uh-huh. and I went right for the wine. There were wine. There was like wine there. Yeah. <laughs> so I just sort of drink wine. So I come back. I watch the second half. You know. But I mean, it was like it was still Dylan. You know. Yeah. But yeah. I just didn't get it. I couldn't get it. It's just then we all went out. Me and you know we, we all went out and hung out with the band, and nice. they were all great. Uh, but uh, but I mean, like you know, it's it. I just don't get that thing. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that he's really survived as a as a as a live act. Over these years now, you know that you know the, the industry has changed so much, but you know there's still a market that you know it was very profitable for him to as, as a live act. You know? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, one thing you know you're going to get when you when you see him, yeah, it's, it's not going to be like anybody else, you know, and that's that's good, you know, you're not he's not going to be like anybody else, and uh, there, there's a goodness there because everything is so slick now. I mean, when you go and you see like Christine Aguilera, or you go see. A lot of these people that are very famous right now, mm-hmm. pop stars that are very famous, um, a lot of that stuff is coming out of a laptop, a lot of the, the, you know, on stage. In fact, I met a guy who programs the laptops. I couldn't believe it. I've met somebody who programs the laptops for, like, some of the big stars, you know. And uh, because they, they'll have a band on stage, but it's all augmented with another 48 tracks. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of that stuff is, like, when Britney Spears is on stage doing her gymnastics, jumping around, doing all this stuff. Uh, you can't really sing you while can't really you're sing. landing on your feet So hard. what she's got is like, the, yeah. it, it kicks in. Like the, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the when, when the microphone knows she's not singing, it immediately, ca- it, it sends out where she, where she's at. 
And the thing with Britney Spears and these guys, when they're doing all these gymnastics, they have a gate. And when she ain't singing, then the original version of the song goes on. So that's what's going on. So we're all tied together. So. I was just hearing somebody talk about the guy who uh, sings vocals for Ozzy Osbourne. I think he li- he lives in a little booth underneath the stage. I heard stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, he hits a lot of those notes that, you know, Ozzy just mimes at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, Off-stage I, players. In a way, I kind of forg- I can forgive Ozzy because he's he's been so nuts his whole life. And the destruction that he's done to his body he gets extra points in my book for that <laughs> you know but uh um these other people they're like health beasts like they're a health beast <laughs> like, they shouldn't have to do that but but doing gym- uh, gymnastics i think in rock and roll there's that you know and something with the youth too there's a there's a uh a thing where uh, there's a natural sort of prejudice that comes with age, you know, uh, especially when I remember when it was a big deal when, when uh, like Mick, Jer- Mick Jagger turned 40. Right, yeah. They were talking like, what does that mean for rock and roll to have a 40 year old rock and roll singer, you know? But uh, at this point, I mean, you, you got to have to have re- survivor's respect for anybody that's oh, yeah. carved a career for themselves, you know, I mean, uh, 50 years after the first, you know, rocket in their, in their career went off, you know? And that cat doesn't miss a beat. You know, I saw him recently on a video. Like two years ago, and he was like, in, in like he was he was delivering like a life and death situation uh, with one of the, was a younger performer, and like it was a very popular younger performer it was it yeah. was Taylor Swift, and he kind of like, I mean she's great in her own right, but like he was like, kind of superseding her because he's such a he's like an old boxer, he's like knows yeah, all the yeah. tricks. Yeah, you've so, been on stage for that that many years, the whole yeah. thing that develops. Then, yeah. then then you look at Bob. <laughs> Where's the tricks at, Bob? <laughs> That you knew, but I'll, I'll never know Why they're so clean The children get to grow up running strong Oh, I gave myself to you But my timing It must have been wrong You shouldn't go out of your way for me You should have never come here Something in your voice You covered my ears Cause all we'd ever get would be disrespect If we ever got around the paying a decent rent Like the taxi drivers They just drive around They don't care who where Or in which town What is the feeling inside the one That you really count Feeling that only comes when you go, and you 
gave yourself to me last night But this morning it showed on turn it around though and and talk about you at this point though too because i mean uh you know you've uh, been in the uh, music business as long as a lot of legends of rock and roll as long as tom petty has been in the music business you've been in the music business you know yeah and uh you've probably played more gigs than a than a lot of those guys probably yeah i mean yeah yeah, i mean yeah Uh, so uh how how are you feeling on stage these days with uh uh, you know, with your uh, your skill set and the audience, I, st- I still feel like I'm real good. But uh, but I mean, there are times when I I feel like I'm going to pass out because I give everything I have. I mean, I just did a fraternity party a couple nights ago. I got home at uh, I got there real early, set everything up. It was in a basement. It was in a basement, right? And 
you know, and you're playing to 21, 22-year-old kids, <laughs> and I had a full band with me, you know, so oh, wow. it was Ken Quita Rock Show. Who, who was in the band? Who, who, uh, we had Mark Teague, he's incredible, <laughs> great, great, we, we, Mark Teague and I have done more shows than anybody, like I was thinking the other day, we've done more shows, there's no other person on the planet Earth I've done more shows with than Mark Teague, we wow. play all the time, and then we had Jimmy Coleman on drums, he's a monster, he's like legendary drummer in Philadelphia, he's been around, he's probably like 44 years old, uh, and then uh, a, a guy named Anil, Indian dude on keyboards, and Anil's just a brilliant, like, he has a band called the L.A. Stars. He does a lot of corporate gigs and weddings and stuff like that. But everything, he, he arranges everything for a wedding band. And people can, they might not uh, appreciate wedding bands, but I do because that's they're learning shit that I could never figure out. I take like <laughs> 50 lifetimes. So it's just complex. A lot of shit's very complex. And Anil is the, is the leader of that. And, and, and Mark Teague is in a band called the Jelly Roll. Uh, band and they uh -huh. they did the White House twice. I mean, they're like these are serious cats. And here you are, are on the basement of a fraternity in West Philly. Yeah, we're in a fraternity. Like, you could be like Mark Teague's band's been the White House twice. Now we're in a basement. You know, because I, mean, I always turn to Mark. I go, this is a bipolar existence. You know? <laughs> I said Prozac was invented for the shit we go through. Because one night you're a fucking star, and next day, I got to tell you about my MyMac. That's another thing, right? So, so like, um, so we did the thing. But I'm playing and I'm giving everything I got, you know. And like sometimes I feel like this cramp where my heart's at and I'm going, am I going down, you know. Because I'm 65, I'll be 66. And I, I'm, I'm thinking like, I don't give a fuck. I'm like, I'm not stopping, you know. I feel the cramp. It feels like it's caught, it's going towards the heart. I'm, fuck it. I'm going down. I don't give a fuck, you know. I'm going to go down like I want to go down. I'm going to go down some fucking assisted living joint, you know. So, <laughs> so but those things happen to me you know more often than not but when we moved when we did the gig at the basement right the lighting we, it was down these steps there were no lights we had to move all this shit up this dark basement <laughs> steps it was like they were made out of marble and shit and we i mean we had some fucking heavy equipment man so then you know after that then we went out drinking <laughs> i get up like 5 a.m so but, but i'm saying like yeah my answer to you is yeah I'm still doing it, but by the but, but at the same time, I am passing judgment on like how much longer can I do it because there's been a couple close calls, you know. There's, you know, because I do rock out. I mean, you know, I did a gig recently. I was in San Francisco on a Friday night. I did a was a big. I did a fundraiser out there, uh -huh. and then I got up at 7 a.m. that Friday, and I had to be back in Philly to do a wedding post reception that started at 11 p.m. Uh, downtown in Rittenhouse Square and so I got up at 7am did this incredible rocked out fundraiser in San Francisco came back to my crazy hotel room in the Mission District went to the airport at like 4.15 in the morning to catch the first airplane back to Philadelphia got on the airplane drinking I was drinking which was really ridiculous <laughs> so then I get off the airplane I get back to my house I'm so wound up because this wedding thing you can't I, can't, I wasn't going to sleep. So so I ended up staying up again till I went downtown. Then I had to hook up and get a sound system. Get a sound system from somebody downtown. They couldn't, it was, they had a truck. So I had, to load, I, had to, I had to load that thing up like three flights of steps, set it up, and then the wedding party shows up. <laughs> and then 
Mark Teague was late. I was starting off by myself. I've been awake since 7 a.m. the day before. Now it's 12 a.m. of, of uh, Sunday, I guess. Like, <laughs> like, and I'm going, and then Mark shows up, and then we, we rocked out till 2 o'clock in the morning. Then we had to move the stuff down, we put it in the truck. By, it's like 2.45 in the morning, and we're going, we got to get a drink, right? So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I, I know I shouldn't, <laughs> but I'm gone. So we went somewhere I know was going to last We stayed in there till 4.30, and then Mark drove me home. Now, where in town can you stay at 4.30 these days? Can you name us? Oh, I, I, it, you can't name it? It's in West Philly, I'll tell okay. you that. <laughs> if, I, if I mentioned you. You, uh, you have a, a catalog of after hours drinking places a, in the city. When I was younger, I was really broke, I, and I used to just drink... Um, uh, just heart. I used to drink like in, in the early eighties, late, late seventies, early eighties. I was really broke. I used to. I didn't even go to the bar. I mean, I was at a bar if someone was buying me drinks. But I had in the old days, the liquor stores had different closing times on different days. I had memorized every clothing time. Like, I knew that if it was a Tuesday night, that the one near me closed at seven, but the one seven blocks away was open till nine. So, so in other words. I have all these things memorized, you know, so, and even today I still do. It's not like I need to have a drink, but sometimes you want to wind down. So, so anyway, I was up for like, um, I don't know how many hours, 7 a.m. I don't know, was it 48 hours or 54 hours? It was ridiculous, but I was like, am I going to die? Like, you know, it, it, but I didn't die, you know, I got some sick Thank the goodness. next day. But, but yet, yeah, so there, it, things do pass my mind. Like, how much longer can I keep doing this? You know, it's like, yeah. it's crazy, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, the people you started out with, there's not a lot of them that are they're, still uh, manning stages. Well, they're, they're, they all quit. I mean, people get fed up because of the instability of the business because you could be doing well. I, I think I told the last time I said something about the sandwich trick. You go in, you know, you go, like, I can do the sandwich trick, you know, because I have some time on my hands. The sandwich but, trick is you go in, you order a sandwich, and then you say you have a lot of gigs to play. Yeah, well, first you go in, you get the sandwich, and you don't really bring it up, right? <laughs> And then you come back again. I always come back with the guitar case. So, because in the old days, you would go in, give them a CD and or press kit, which was wonderful. But, and it kind of would work for you. But then about 10 years ago, the press kit and the CD don't work anymore. So then I I got hip about seven years ago. I'm going to go in. I'm going to insinuate my life in the bartender's life. I'm just going to keep coming in because everybody on the planet has to eat. So if you can start eating in an establishment that has live music and you get to be kind of friendly with the bartender, they will generally hire you, particularly if, if you tell them, you know, what you do. You, you know, like you were in Europe or you're San Francisco, whatever. They start to look at you differently than if you give them a CD because they don't have the time to listen to the CD. Yeah. They're too, too busy ordering liquor and trash bags. They're not going to be fucking <laughs> listening to CD. CDs so, is going to be an, an, an antique technology as well. You know, laptops don't have CD players in them. Yeah, 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 exactly. All that stuff, you know. Yeah. So, um, but, so I'm doing one right now. I am doing this... I've been doing this sandwich trick for five weeks now. I go in once a week. And I got this thing where it's like a guilt thing. I just show up, and the bartender, he's going, oh, we're going to get to, like, he's already apologizing. He hasn't got to me yet. Like, because he knows I'm coming in. With, like, I'm not even bringing up the fact I want a gig there. So I, you can work it with, like, a thing. Like, it's almost like yeah, you're yeah. guilting them to hire you. But so, but anyway, the reason a lot of people don't do it anymore, they don't have, it's almost intentional derangement syndrome that I have. You know, it, it, because like you only you have to be deranged to do the sandwich trick and have a sense of humor about it. Because it's you know, it, but I'm just saying I do it because a lot of times the sandwich trick doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of t- it's like it's like an application for a job with a fee. Like, like you have an application and you send in for twenty five bucks, they consider hiring you. Well, 
I could name a number of places where I've been going back and I'm applying for the job with the sandwich and I'm leaving a $10 tip or whatever and I still don't get the gig. So you got to control your sandwich anger. (laughs) So, but I'm still working, you know, and I always do the sandwich trick even when I'm busy because I know I'm going to get fired. I just got fired recently. Oh, really? Oh, this is a good one. I'm actually glad I got fired because this, I'm not going to mention the name of the place. What type of establishment is this? Um, I don't know what you use, what they call. I mean, the old days called a yuppie. I uh-huh. I'm not going to name a place because, because I was I normally book myself, but there was a booking agent who showed mercy on me and booked me there, so I don't want it to come back to him. Sure, sure. So, and 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 so it's a place that people that have regular jobs get dressed up, and then and it, they have it's it's like a pseudo gourmet joint but it's a good mating ritual area like uh-huh. you, know, you might be able to to successfully seal the deal after going to this place it's, it's basically pretentious and they fucking got this idea to hire me right <laughs> <laughs> so i go in there like seven months ago i get the booking agent books me in there yeah it's a lot of other guys in there too they're all like 22 26 and they they got the pedals they got everybody got laptops and they sing and there's like horn solo and this guy oh, playing really? and all this shit you know so i don't have that technology i do have some technology but you don't have a music robot you bring with them i have a, i have people. a pedal that has <laughs> things like um like alan Iverson talking about practice like like i'll be doing like a solo i'll be doing like all on watch and when the solo starts you hear alan Iverson going practice what's practice you're like these things are well you're like let's get ready to rumble like or you'll hear like really universally iconic things like the nokia phone going like like everybody and like but and you're having dinner and you're hearing these things like it's like the imac clothes going boom like that's my pedal everybody else has pedals with like extra vocals octave dividers bass guitar play but i bring like this noise pedal right but you can't really play it unless the place really has a sense of humor now i didn't bring my pedal to this particular pretentious place there was ten commandments to play there. This is I love this story because even though I got fired, I'm glad I got a story out of it. So seven months I went there, and I get the ten commands. The ten commandments were: Are these written down somewhere? Are the bartender tells you they come in an email, or? like in an email, right? Okay. They go, okay, Ken, this is your first time here. When you come in, track down the management, and they have an adapter that goes into the wall that goes through the sound system that is installed in this establishment so i'm like okay but it's a very complex adapter it's like like i I ended up buying one because i went back for the second time okay but 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 you had to go into the office and then everybody there is like they don't even know what live they have no idea what live music is it's like it's a pest i'm a nuisance right so i get to the i put it in there and i plug it in the wall so so that way the guy who runs a place it's a micromanaging kind of guy. Oh, nice. So he can control the volume in case he doesn't like it, right? Uh-huh. But also, you're supposed to bring a speaker. It's, this is mime. This is basically a mime gig I'm doing. Right? So, <laughs> uh, so you bring a speaker in with your mixer because you plug the adapter from the mixer into the wall. You mix it. Uh-huh. But then you bring your speaker. The, the other commandment is make sure the speaker that you bring does not face outward to the audience, to the people having dinner or at the bar. So I'm like, this is curious. This is your own monitor speaker. It's it's a speaker, and but all of a sudden, it is a speaker that faces you, but so that they don't have to hear you. It's a mime act. So so then they they go, now you got to stand over there. So like, so you're standing in a corner somewhere. I'm sitting because I'm fucking hungover, and so. And the other thing is, like, whatever you do, 
make sure no one can hear you. It's like, it's like, and, and they go like, so, and there's a couple other rules. I can't remember what the fuck they are. But so you go on and, and I did the first show, the first seven months come in there. And then like six months later, someone canceled out, come back. So I went back, you know, I did the same thing, the mime act. And then like this week I had the phone call that like I was fired and I go well, what happened the booking agent it was kind enough he goes I, he goes, I don't want to send you an email because I, I think I'd tell you you know what happened <laughs> and he goes um, he said that, you know the old expression no news is good news and now I know where we're going <laughs> I go yeah because <laughs> I was fired before this guy booked me somewhere else and he got a complaint about me or something yeah, for yeah. some reason I'm the one guy he hires there's always a complaint registered because he's always going what did you do I go I honored the request he goes <laughs> he said people were going to go to sleep anyway so uh, so anyway um, so he said that they told him do not have that guy come back you know quitter and so my friend goes can I ask you why they go he just doesn't fit here and then I start well I but but he wouldn't get any specifics. I know. I mean, I know, I know why. So, but and I can't say. But uh, so the thing is, what happened is like I'm thinking I did all ten commandments, uh-huh. and no one. And the other thing is like when I was doing, the, you know, you plug in the wall for fun because I'm a joker. I would turn my system off, like my speaker off, but the signal is still going through the house, and there was no signal. It was like they had me shut down. Like I mean, they all they like they. Don't want nobody. They just want you to be seen. It's almost like it's like people who support the arts. Like yeah. they go in, they endure. There's an artist. This guy looks like a weirdo. Like, but they can say that they can leave. Like, going, I kind of supported the arts. I didn't have to listen to him. You know, so so I got fired. So that, that, doing the wow. mime act. Yeah, wow. I, yeah. that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, but that's that's not everywhere. But th- that does exist more often than not. I was in another place where they put the guy under the stairwell behind plexiglass you just see him he starts playing to get there you can't hear him it's like that's another i didn't get that i did the same i was going to do that the, the sandwich trick didn't i couldn't get in there yeah so but but cheers thanks i'm talking so much i'm not even having any liquid here this is good yeah usually i don't like i don't drink much of white wine it's good i used to drink a lot of white wine wow <laughs> what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jolly? Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jolly? Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jolly? Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jolly? I went down to Monto Town to see my best friend Bobby. Bobby said he's not around, he's got a brand new hobby. Froggy said Bobby's dead, choking on the corn of a cobby. What kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jobby? What kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jobby? Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jobby? What kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jolly? Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a jolly? 
Every time I do a gig it seems so very army, army. People think I need a drink to do a better job Suddenly I'm surrounded by drinks Coming from the nearest lobby What kind of job can you drink on the job When you're drinking on the job, on the job What kind of job can you drink on the job When you're drinking on the job, on the job what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a job? Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a job? Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job when you're drinking on a job on a job? I know what for I do this shit to my body My doctor says I seem okay But my liver is rather spotty Either way I'm on my way And I'm heading towards the next big party Party, what kind of job can you drink on a job When you're drinking on a job on a job What kind of job can you drink on a job Drinking on a job on a job Hey, what kind of job can you drink on a job When you're drinking on a job on a job what kind of job can you drink on a job? Can you drink it on a job on a job? Hey! What kind of job can you drink on a job? Can you drink on a job on a job? about a year and a half since we we've we've talked last and, i can't uh, believe it's been that long because we did two yeah, yeah yeah i think i think the last one was uh, the summer uh, maybe early in the summer of uh, 2016 and here we are uh 2018 but uh, it's been a wild ride this uh, last uh, 18 months or so uh, what is the what does the tr- post-trump landscape look like for uh, for for ken queter uh, um more chaos <laughs> <laughs> more mime uh i i don't know i mean like um because I, I i think i mentioned this the last time like, i would feel like you have the pulse of the city in a certain way that you're really out you know I rubbing out. shoulders with all, all strata of society all the time i am up I, I feel like in in my purview of the world uh, I, I really feel the the uh, heightened stress of, of of living under uh, donald trump in this very odd moment that there is in. that there, there, there's def- obviously there's that but then when i play like like that place I was at, you know, like or some some other places. You'd be surprised how many people are completely apathetic. Like they they just they just want to see the the the, the football score, the baseball score, and it's it's a, a Kim it's a cons, consumer society. It's like people don't want to even they are they're just rolling along. They're going with the flow, and they but but I I think I told you a story um, years ago. One of the last times I got. You know, because I was always, I consider my show pretty subversive. I mean, I just got successfully, fi- successfully fired, right? You so, still have any hint on what interpersonally, why you didn't fit in there? Or? I'll tell you off the record. I mean, I, I, mean, I know what it is because, well, I, I, let me put it to you this way. If I had booked that, that was not a sandwich book gig. If that was the sandwich book gig, we, the whole city would know. But because this guy went out to bat for me and yeah. he's got me some other gigs. 
I can't. I don't because he's he's a great. He's he. You know, nobody books Queter by. Let me tell you, no one books me except this guy. So I don't want to fuck up his thing. You know? <laughs> but he's like, I'm not booking that guy. So um, anyway, but getting back to what we're saying, I mean, I can remember a few years ago, like you know, I was um, bitching about Dick Cheney, like, yeah, bit, like because it was a younger audience. I thought they were all going to be on my side, and I was, you know, because I was, you know. I knew this was a fraud. Everything was a fraud. And then um, within a couple minutes, I had like three 21-year-old kids um, like outside the city. I was like like not far from outside of Philadelphia, near Upper Darby or whatever. And uh, uh, they, they were like, one more word out of, out of you about Dick Cheney. Like, we're, we're going to fuck you up. I was like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, I go, you're like 21. You should be like revolutionary. No. Because you, you'd be surprised. I mean, like, I'm not saying everybody's like that out there, but surprisingly, there's a lot more people out there who don't think on their own. They just yeah, yeah. buy the the state. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I don't. See are, are those same people supporting Donald Trump? I feel like people just don't want to talk about Donald Trump. I think they, yeah, they are. Yeah, because um, uh, I'm, I play all kinds of different places. I mean, and the there are people that are align with, with Trump, you know, and they don't say anything. It's like, but, you know, because I'm, I'm always doing some kind of horse trick, like on stage a little bit, and I kind of tease it out of them, what's going on. Um, and uh, it, it's out there. They're, and they're, they're not people that, they're not, they're not South Street. I mean, it's like, they're not Fishtown, but it's like, there's a big country out there where people are um, uh, either completely apathetic yeah. or they're towing the company line or, but then again, then again, you have like a lot of refreshing, interesting, uh, you know, smart folks who think on their own too. So yeah, yeah, I've been really impressed with a, a lot of the young people who I feel like uh, I feel like my generation. There was still a lot of optimism about going out in the career world and all that stuff. And uh, boy, this younger generation really feels like you know they have not been afforded that optimism. In well, they've been lives. swindled. They were swindled. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're going into the game knowing that it, you know something's really weighted against them. I think, and uh, that's really given them. A, a, an open mind to our alternatives and, uh, and ways I thought well, it's a fuel for them yeah, to to do it their way you know so um, because it, there's it's a swindle I mean the, I mean not every I mean a lot of people went to school to do this and do that and they're, they're working some minimum wage job and like fuck this I'm gonna I'm gonna get, you know I know this was all bullshit to begin with I'm just gonna look at stuff that's it appears and it's proven that it's just it's i'm not gonna waste my life working for this like fast food 7-eleven or whatever i'm yeah, gonna get yeah. involved in something and make the same amount of money by postering things or whatever for something i believe in so that that's good yeah 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 you know that's my opinion for sure because for a while i don't think there was any like when i, I worked for nader i did two things for nader mm -hmm. four years apart uh my but uh, Kevin Carg and I did some things. Yeah, this was uh, back in when, when would this be? Well, it was sick. Not when it was uh, two thousand two thousand four. I mean, I know there was a, the, the election went down, but like, I mean, I just I liked I always liked Nader, so I, I I set up a PA for him or whatever. He and when you looked at his, his policy goals, they were all things that were uh, you know later really uh, championed by the the Bernie Sanders uh, yeah, I mean, you know yeah. crowd or whatever. You know, I, I don't I think his his policies were pretty sound and uh, pointing in a optimistic direction yeah know? i mean he, 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 common sense so but when i would play or i would set the pa up or whatever we were doing what what, what disappointed me and saddened me saddened me 
was I looked at the audience, and he, it was 90% everybody was over 45. It was a wow. very small percentage. It was like 24. And, but it seems like after he's out of the thing, now there's more people that are younger doing things. But, but I do remember being very sad that, uh, that he didn't have a, a younger because people are getting, there was people 70 years old and, you know, they weren't going to be out. There's that oldest, older activist crowd that seemed, yeah. you know, tuned into his message. But yeah, yeah. I, I've seen that as well, especially in Philadelphia. I thought it was a bit younger of a, of a you know, sort of activist crowd in, in, in San Francisco when I lived there in the 90s. But then when I got back here and got involved with some activist activities, I was always the youngest person at, you know, 45 yeah. or whatever. Yeah, because, you know, I just remember like being like, wow, like, you know, because I was, you know, he was speaking common sense, you know. So, yeah. and then of course, I mean, uh, when the the, the uh, what's it the, the chat, hanging chads and people are freaking out. I mean, I look. I just went. I I just went. For, I like what he said, you know. It was yeah, like, yeah. And I thought he was telling the truth. So. I always thought that was a very questionable narrative that he he was the spoiler of that yeah, election. Like, when you look at all the activities that went like, down, yeah, and when yeah, you had like, a, the, yeah. the, the very questionable Supreme Court ruling, uh, there's uh, certainly a lot of other places to yeah. to you know question than uh, you know Ralph Nader's you know handful of votes. Yeah, and you know um, I always liked him from this like late '60s, seven. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I always kept an eye on what he was doing, and. Uh, it just seemed like common sense. It's just it's, there's so much non-common sense. It's like bizarre. Like <laughs> what goes on now? It's really well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've really traveled to a world of of uh, of non-common sense. Uh, somebody was comparing it to the sort of Russian propaganda that wasn't meant to uh, push the the Russian view. It was meant to obscure everything between you know, so nobody could trust any of the information yeah. they get. And I feel like we're at this point now where. Uh, people, you know, don't trust the information they get. In the it's unbelievable. In a lot of different ways, yeah. It, it's it's cloying is what it is. Like obfuscation, and like all that that shit. That go, you know what I mean? Like because you know, it, it, it's like a Soviet thing, you know. And it's yeah. like, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's fucked up that our species, you know, particularly the ones that live here, it's 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 gotten to that point, and it's like. And it's considered smart. Like some people think it, it's like it's 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 like there's a song. What's that song called? talking it's it, it, I what the song is called but it's like this guy says in the song and it's a pop song it's like it's not like some kind of like john prine song or whatever. it's like the guy goes i never thought i i would live to the point where words uh betrayed me or like 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 where words were, be, were being used not to communicate the truth but to obscure the to, truth, to obscure the yeah. truth. and it's in the song and it's a great song. i can't remember the name of the fucking song but <laughs> but when i heard that in a pop song i was going it's you know like i was like wow that's that's where we're at, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, it's really weird, but I guess it's always been there in a way, but not to the point like now. Yeah, it's definitely been brought to a fervor. I think a part of that fervor really is the uh, the power of a computer in everybody's life. You know, you, you forget how much that has really changed everything. But you know, it's made there's just so many more facts echoing around this this uh, you know virtual world that we all live we're all living in. I don't think we're quite anybody is quite sorting out you know the effect this is having on them. There was a book that came out like eight years ago called Miscellaneous. Uh-huh. And it just talks about all of a sudden everybody's an expert, but even though they don't, they don't have a proven track record, but just you got to fish your way through the miscellaneous so-called <laughs> experts, and it gets it's exhaust. A lot of people don't have the what's the word the drive or the the energy to do that. Yeah, so they just yeah. they'll put on one channel and they'll just listen to that channel, you know. And I like to just go through a, like I you know different different 
news things to sort of kind of fish out what I think probably the deal is, you know. And uh, so, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really de- it's depressing actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, because I, I, I go back to like you know way back with the water Cronkite and all that shit, and that shit seemed real. I mean, that seemed yeah. like really real, you know. Then you get into this other stuff where it's corporations. I mean, they're like they're. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, people people haven't. I mean, there was a big talk. Uh, I was watching a film just the other night uh, from from 1980 about the newspaper business, and it was a main. It was a television uh, like extra long TV movie kind of, but it was all about uh, the integrity of journalism and, and the, the the issues they were talking about like seem so far gone at this point of, of where now it's really merged so much into entertainment to the to the point where we have an entertainer, we have a former TV star as the as the president but I, I people have really seemed to lost sight of, of, of uh, how they're being manipulated in sort of entertainment manner to you know tune back into this ongoing story that's happening and uh, i particularly remember the uh, uh rachel maddow who's a big favorite of people on the cable news on msnbc and when she was like oh boy we have these tax records of bush that are going to you know change everything and then it turned out to be like one page of a form or whatever and here it was really being uh as it was a ratings thing yeah it was it was groundbreaking news that you had yeah. to turn into but then there was nothing there and i just thought like all the problems that are really going on to invent the sort of non-issue and make it the number one story on the news is, i know is really uh is uh, irresponsible uh, totally yeah oh uh, and i mean and, and make you angry if you care uh-huh. and i think a lot of people that used to care were getting so angry they don't care no more it's like it's like I, I never read the book, but it was uh, Underground Notes, Podostoyevsky. Yeah, Notes from the Underground? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it, yeah. yeah. And they were just talking about how all these people that used to care, it's, I mean, it's only a sub-segment sub of it. It's like, there were all these like smart folks, and they cared, and they did all, and all this shit was going on, that they just ended up like, they just got involved, with, like, they're basically like living in a basement or something, and they they just like, they had, they just surrendered to like, whatever entertains them yeah, and yeah. you know you know what i mean like 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 they no longer they couldn't care anymore and it was and it was a soviet soviet union thing or something yeah yeah uh and and uh you know I, I, it's how disempowering it it kind of really is the the uh, internet and how and any sort of um distraction that you're into like there's almost endless supply of it available you know through virtual means these days and yeah how like well i could go to that protest but there is a new mini series that i could you know uh, oh yeah i could uh binge watch tonight <laughs> like yeah i noticed that yeah, people, yeah they do that um but the other thing is like like with the david foster wallace he was talking about like entertainment will become deadly and it's like yeah, yeah. that was his thing he killed i can't believe he killed himself and i guess he was too sensitive. I mean, he just saw so much. Did you ever see that movie? The movie? Uh, no, I haven't seen the movie. About there's him, there's yeah. a movie, and um, journalists is following him around. It's worthwhile. I think it's on Netflix. But um, I, I, you know, I yeah. just watch it. But but there uh, is somewhat a sense of like the the sort of sensitive sparrows sort of a, a dying out uh, yeah. beneath us. And, you know, I I can think of a lot of. Uh, very tuned in sensitive characters who have uh, you know checked out and, and, and personally and, and sort of you know celebrity wise in the last you know couple of years you mean like people that you look up to and they're, they're, yeah. they're gone or they died or, or yeah yeah, yeah. And, and uh you know a lot of depression a lot of uh, you know suicides and things like that you know that uh, uh there's a sense that the society is being dismantled in some way yeah and then you lose like those illuminate people some illumination 
and then you're like you got to find somebody else or or something but i don't know it's fucking nuts it's not good man (laughs) 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 then i'm doing my mime act you know (laughs) you know uh Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. Now I, I I do want to get back to you as an artist. We can you know just about everybody you meet, you can really uh, focus on these negative trends that are that are going on. But uh, you know where where does that leave you as a, as a songwriter and as an artist? And uh, you know where do you feel like uh, you know you find direction in the, in these times? Um. All I know is I just know that I got this thing I do right. I mean, like, yeah. you know, it's like like. It's like, it's like, I guess you call it a calling, whatever. And I'm going to go into these different establishments. And I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll, I mean, it's like, I don't get the opportunity to play, I mean, a lot, I do play some, some nights I can do mostly Ken Queter, some nights I do folk, some, you know, it's all different. But I think the fact, I, my thing is, I just feel like when I come into a place, and there are some people that are kind of listening, I do reach like a fraction of people on occasion that when they leave, they go like, like we shake hands. And well, you have a fo- I mean, we, without a doubt, you have a following. You know, I, I see I see online a lot of people that are you know come out to see you, and I see lots of pictures of you they, performing. They do that. Yeah, they, they uh, you come know, out. You've you've gone on. You've continued for yeah, sure. But there's a lot of people that they like. In other words, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of times. Like I'll do it. One of my favorite gigs that I do, and I can do the real Ken Quitter show. Irish Times at Second and Bainbridge. Uh-huh. That's like the last vestige of South Street. Like that's when I bring that fucking pedal, and it's like <laughs> all kinds of shit going on. And I'm doing storytelling. Um, but the people that I just did a gig there, and it was all these young kids there. So I was doing my songs, and then I was doing storytelling. Then I did some pop tunes, and by the end, then I mean we're all like talk. I mean, I'm talking to all these people that are like 30 years younger than me, because they're like, wow, this guy's like never seen anything like it, you know. <laughs> so that was cool. I mean, I reached them. And then, and uh, you know, do like uh, I changed what's that song? Hallelujah uh-huh. into Ira Einhorn. <laughs> Ira Einhorn. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's like laughing, but I mean, I can't do that at some other place. But but that's like my job is like to to somehow tease people to start thinking a little bit. Sure. So because um, there are people certainly that are they do care, and you know, not everybody's totally. Uh, surrendered to the badness yeah, yeah but a lot have a lot have but you know but there always has been a lot of people that that were not sometimes i think i remember once talking to bill i he was my manager in the mid to late 70s and we were talking about pretty you know um in, important stuff and 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 he goes you know what your problem is queer because we were we we're like sequencing it out like in, in, and like, and we couldn't understand why everybody didn't agree with us. And Bill goes, Queen, you know what your problem is? You think everybody thinks like you do. You know, he goes, not many people, like, like the very little number of people think that way that would, would go to a logical ending. You know, he goes like, you can talk to me and I can talk to you and we can, we agree with most of what we're talking about. And like, cause it, it extrapolates logically to a goal that would be good. But most people, when you, there's 26 letters in the alphabet, once you get the C and D, they're like, ah, fuck this. You know, like, I want to buy a steak sandwich or something. And, like, they don't want to go to Z. Well, I'm willing to go to fucking Z, even though I'm not going to get the, even though I, I'm, it might be a little painful. Yeah, but yeah. he goes, like, you're, you're, you're not, del- not that I was delusional, but 
I was uh, duping myself a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. So a friend, of, so, friend of mine interrupted me a while ago, and I huh? sort of friend of mine interrupted me a while ago, and I was saying something like, "Aren't we all uh, in an endless like quest for you know what the truth is?" And he was like, "No, no, people aren't on an endless quest yeah, about yeah. what the truth is. They're not. You know, not at all. They go on endless, endless quest to the next distraction. You know, I mean, unfortunately, because I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm out. Like I said, I'm out and about, man. I'm like." I'm watching things go on all the time at these clubs, and it's like, like uh, I mean, there is really a Kim Kardashianization of this country where people are just—they're not—they're and I, you know, that's their prerogative. That's cool, yeah. but they're not into. Is it cool? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not my bag, but but they're just not into anything that's not that's underneath the surface, and yeah. it works for them. But in the in the end, it's pretty empty. I mean, I I I'd consider it kind of empty after a while. You know, but but it's, you'd be surprised how many people don't know anything about it. like any any music prior than four years ago. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like like I'm thinking like just the other day because of how fast everything's coming at us. This miscellaneous fractions, like all this shit. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. wow, it seems like five years ago, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> like it seems like I just read about that, but that was five. Like and that's only five weeks ago. Like yeah, yeah. You know, it I mean things get like it's almost like you know when sand blows and it makes piles over time it's like the piles are being made really quick like in the time well it was, it's funny I, I took a moment to listen to a bit of the interview we the, that we last did about 18 months ago and you, you know what we were talking about you know it was sort of at the top of the list that that day pokemon <laughs> We, Which one? Pokemon. We talked about yeah. Pokemon. Yeah, because that, that was when the first yeah we talked about Phil Cicola, and that was the first thing when they became the uh, uh, the the monsters that were out and about, and you could catch them with your phone. That's and, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that seemed like that seems like a million years ago now. Yeah, because that, know, was, that like, was a that was a big uh, fad for uh, you know ten to twelve days, I think, at that point. Or the ice bucket challenge. I mean, like, they, they, remember that? You know, I mean, like, remember that? People were trying to get me to do it. You know, it's like, and like you know. But but yeah, the Pokemon thing that was like huge for like six weeks or something. And then like no one remembers. Yeah, now it seems like a million years ago. You know, and it's not I, that long ago. No, no, eighteen months ago, and it just everything is moving so fast. And you know, there's uh, you know things that are blanketing the news for you know forty eight hours and that are forgotten about. You know, I remember Frank Zappa in, in one of his book. He was talking about like nostalgia used to be something thirty years ago. Then he goes, it was then it's twenty years ago. Then it's ten, and he goes, and then he was saying like. At some point, it's going to be like last year. <laughs> then he goes, and then it's going to be like four weeks. But he was right because it's like coming. Yeah, know. shorter and shorter. And I think I mentioned when we were off mic that uh, that uh, there was a poll recently that said Democrats now, for the first time, uh, have a, a more than 50% positive review of, of George Bush. Yeah, I know. The former president who left with like a 26 rating uh, you know, against all voters. But now like Democrats are like, he wasn't so bad. I know. That was a, that was a good time. I know. Uh, um, I don't that's, – that's like the um, – the Dylan thing with the the <laughs> triplicate, triplicate. Did you get? Cri- <laughs> Do you know he's up for an award in the Grammys? Triplicate's up. Oh really? I saw it. I was like, how can this be? <laughs> but I mean, like now, like or, or you know, going back to the the the, go- the gospel period, like it's yeah. it's like, hey, it wasn't that bad. Well, fuck it was. <laughs> And so was Bush and all this phony fucking Homeland Security shit, you know? It was fucked up. And I'm here to tell you, you know? Fuck it. I'm not going to be a nice guy and not tell you, you know? That's the thing. Be a nice guy, let it go. No, if I'm not, if I'm, 
if I'm a nice guy and I let it go, then more shit like that's going to fucking happen. You know? <laughs> Fuck it, you know? Got to draw a line somewhere. But, uh, yeah, but it's a lot of fucked up shit out there. It's like, uh, I mean, I just can't get over the, look, I like, everybody likes, you know, like, look, I want the Eagles to win. Or, you know, I'm happy. You know, th- I mean, like a lot of guys that I know who are like the best players in Philadelphia, great guys. I love them. And they're just, you know, they're just, they were on the front line of trying to change things for the better for years. Now they're older and they're only interested in scores. I mean, and so like, like, like sports makes way more sense than culture or like philosophical nuances and shit like that. That's more mathematical. It, yeah. It's, it's like, there's like, you know, you kind of, that there's a thing that like, like like in other words, I like sports too, but I but this is like this is this is a religion now. They went from really high end music, which they still are, and but because there's so much heartbreak when you are out trying to change the world, that now they're older, they they get their 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 their, their heart is explodes with joy or sadness. Uh, but a lot more, but at least, like in other words, with the cultural battles that they were part of over the years, I mean, it's, they're, they're concerned, but most of their energy is in sports scores, and, yeah, and they yeah. listen to sports radio. I mean, like, they are, because I, I, it cracks me up, because I'm going, they know everything about every. I'm like, how the fuck do you know? They go, don't you listen? I'm like, no, because I'm trying to get gigs, you know, like, I'm trying, because they're not really gig. They're not gigging as much as I am, but I, I can't sit and listen to all the nuances of an Eagles team or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, but well, but, I always find it frustrating that people can be so uh, uninformed in politics and uh, so uninformed of the, you know how bills are moving through Congress or that kind of thing, and yet like they can dice out the uh, uh, the uh, strategies of the Eagles' defense and yeah. offense to a minute degree. You know. Well, th- uh, th- what happens is. And I, I mean, this is my estimation of what happens is that they, these are real sophisticated players that they, they have the ability to parse out all that the, the subtle shit politically. But I think that so many times things didn't work out the way that they thought it was going to work out. Like, I can remember exploding, like, like when Bush got reelected on the, the second time. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 because it wasn't, there was no common, it did, didn't make any sense. Like, that word was totally fraudulent. Like, yeah. Um, but but I think that they are just th- their energy is more consumed. I mean, they have, a lot of these guys have families, and they yeah. are consumed yeah. with the kids, and I, 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 that's great. I mean, um, but they can't go out on the front lines. They're ju- I think they're just expecting somebody who's twenty one, twenty two to take their place. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I, see, I don't have I don't have a family or kids, so I'm kind of like. I'm going to do something that's going to try to bring light to something that's good, you know. Yeah, yeah. But they don't really have the time right now, you know. But they have the time to watch sports. But that, that's it's not my thing. Nowadays, my life is settled down. And I live on the other side of town. I moved out here to be near the scarecrows in the ground. Most of all to simply settle down Now and then I go inside a town To take a look at my old midnight round Some people say 
That I'm a square The way I've changed my hand But it's squares like me That make this world go round Yes, it's squares like me That make this world go round Yes, it's squares like me That make this world go round Go to school Get a job Somehow you'll settle down And it's squares like me that make this world go round All the clothes that I wear are pretty bland In the middle of the road that's where I stand Don't go out, just stay in And I never make a sound Squares like me that make this world go round Yeah, squares like me that make this world go round Oh, it's squares like me that make this world go round Go to school, get a job, somehow you'll settle down Squares like me that make this world go How do you escape? What do you do uh, to, uh, you know, get away from your job? And uh, what, are, what are your distractions? Um, I think, like, kind of drinking. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I'm kind of like a workaholic. I really, you know, I am always on alert, you know, and on call. And um, so what I do is, uh, you know, uh, you know, 
drink, uh, do that stuff. I mean, I might, I don't really wa- I mean, I might watch a part of a sporting event. Like, like I'm in gig. I do enough gigs where there's flat screens everywhere. I could be playing. I can watch like a basketball, <laughs> basketball game. I don't even know who's, like Roy's playing, but, but I mean, I don't really have what you would call a hobby. It's like, I'm kind of like, I mean, at one point in time, I was like a Michael Jordan guy. I was like following that, but it's over. But, but I don't, but that wasn't even like a thing that was at, you know, it's not like a lot of guys I know who follow the Sixers and or Eagles, whatever. I, I, I don't know. I think it's like, I don't really have a thing. It's, it's almost like, you know, I always had something, whether it was drinking or maybe some sporting event or something else. But a guy like Alan Mann, who passed away when he was 33 from Philadelphia, there was a guy who had never had any distractions. All he did was music. He never went to a sporting event or nothing or watched TV. Singular focus. Yeah, but he was always focused on the music, you know. But he he did something like that, too. But, uh, (laughs) you know, but, but, yeah, I I can't really say I have anything um, that, uh, you know, I'm just, like, constantly gigging, you know. I don't know, maybe I should... No collection of of, of things you've whittled at home or... (laughs) Like like whittle like some kind of statue. yeah with a with a with a, with a pen knife you're sitting at home and the, no, making really. bamboo flutes or anything no it's like uh, <laughs> there's I probably do have something I can't think of it right now I don't know what it is you know uh, you know it's it's have you written any songs in a while I'm working on some tunes because uh, there's a guy who wants me to do Kitchen Folk Part Two ah nice. so I have them half written they're not finished yet but uh, but I'm thinking like. I'll probably do it eventually. I don't, I, in the old, I was like, I was thinking the other day, why is it so difficult for me to go back in the studio? I was like, well, all that stuff that I did like like a bunch of years ago, I wasn't hard. I was gigging, but it was only gigging like twenty seven times a year. I was living really cheap rent, yeah. and, and I didn't have a car. I was like, it was all this shit that was like I didn't have to worry about bills. So, but uh, to do it right, to do it right, to really. Because you have to have a lot of time to do this shit perfectly. But yeah, yeah I mean, like, there'll probably be a Kitchen Folk Part 2 at some point. Well, that's you know? great. That's good to yeah. hear. So that's good, you know. And yeah. I think, I just hope that uh, people like it, you know, so. Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, it's so good. And uh, and then, I don't know, like, you know, the movie came out last year. Yeah. And then I lost a ton of gigs, like, right after that. It was like, not because of the movie, it's just like, <laughs> it was just a challenge of the universe to, like, can Queter still hang in there, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but uh, that was cool. That movie, the movie played a few festivals. And yeah, did, did, yeah, did good. Did yeah. good. So, uh, but those guys did a great job. Uh, Rob and John. Yeah, Hallmark. what's the title? Of the, the the documentary again? Well, it's two. It's the longest title in history. It's like <laughs> Adventures of a Secret Kid and the Mass Hallucination of Ken Queter. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, it was great. I mean, it, it was a. It was kind of uh, difficult for me to watch because I'm in the movie, you know. So yeah. I could watch it at home. But to be in a crowd of people to watch, it's kind of you feel like kind of creepy, you know. Yeah, yeah. So because uh, like you're watch, people are watching you watch the movie. And I'm like somebody watched. So it was cool. It was, yeah. There was the uh, we did the, the the movie the International House, and then I did a gig later on at a, at a bar in West Philly that turned out to be not a good night. <laughs> another story uh but uh but it was everything was coming john did a great job rob did a great job a guy named carmen all these people that were involved did great jobs and we had all those donors that was cool we played it again it played in lambertville about six months ago oh yeah 
something sold out you know it's good and you did a recent uh, recording session too i believe with uh, one of the hooters uh, it was a collection of uh, great philadelphia yeah, songs we did a man on the moon uh, a woman named zuzu who's in a band called soraya they have a record deal she she did the lead vocals i mean i was just there i was there sort of like making sure everybody was confused you know <laughs> i mean it was really we had like kenny ironson on bass and david yusikian on drums and greg davis and wally smith and you know some really great great players and uh, uh and zuzu was doing the singing so we did that at studio four up in, in concha yeah uh, that was cool what other songs uh, were done i think there was a robert hazard song done yeah, it did uh, uh you know escalator of life and a lot of that stuff from that period and then we did uh you know stuff by i think the oj's uh like uh, backstabber actually. oh yeah um and uh uh a lot of stuff I can't remember is that, pro- is that project out now is that a- it's out every song comes out they're launched onto like a website or something you can purchase uh-huh. those tunes uh, the most recent one was uh, Men on Moon was two six months ago then uh, last month was uh, Robert Hazard's tune you know yeah so I was only even part of a couple of those things project I've dreamed about uh, you know in my idle moments is the, the Ken Queter cover record I, I would like to hear not a record of you doing covers I'd like to hear a record of you know like a tribute record of uh, a lot of people doing your tunes I think you have an incredible catalog of, of songs, songs yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of songs that are really I think would welcome interpretation you yourself have reinterpreted these songs so many different ways over the yeah, years there's a lot of people know my songs which I'm surprised a lot of younger kids so I would be happy if they did it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not stopping anybody, but uh, yeah, yeah. I know that they do them in their concerts, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, so, and it's funny because some people like songs that I don't think is like good, but they like them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad that they got a second life there. But uh, if something like that happened, that'd be great. But you need somebody in charge to do that because, you know, it's hard to pin people down. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to I pin- just want to put the idea out there if anybody was going to run with it. Feel, yeah. Feel free. Like, I'm trying to think who would uh, be able to do that. I mean, there's... there's people who are remarkably great that could do it but they also have to have enough money like they have to be able to not have to work for a month because it's gonna be like it's like a month of work yeah yeah because you're, you're gonna be bringing different guys in and uh, to do that uh, i mean it'd be great because because I'm, I'm i am uh, sometimes i think what's gonna happen when i die like i'm gonna die right yeah i mean when, when tom petty died i just i was like holy shit because we're like the same age i'm like and I saw what happened. I mean, I could kind of figure it out because he, he shouldn't have done that last tour. I mean, I, it's my personal opinion. What, what, what do you think was happening there? I think he was ill. I, 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 I'm not a huge Tom Petty fan, but I really respect his songwriting. So what I think happened, I, lo- I saw him about two or three years ago on an interview. And I, I looked at him. I said, man, he don't look right. Yeah. I don't even know him. I'll take more of you. <laughs> so he don't look right. Thank you. And um, but you know, I didn't think twice about it. You know, then I saw him again. I said he doesn't look right. Then I heard he was embarking on that forty gigs. He was doing forty shows, in only like fifty days or sixty. It wasn't a lot of days. Yeah. And he said he was going to finish up, which he finished up. And uh, you know, I thought, you know, that's cool. But it, I don't know why why he feels like he has to do. You know, I I, I don't know why he just didn't. He just didn't look right. You know, so. He did the gig and then he fucking died. I'm like, man, you know. And then you find out that he did have physical problems. He had a problem with his hip. He was on opi. He was on painkiller. He was on a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. And um, 
Uh, so Michael Jackson, he had a whole bunch of gigs coming up, and he was, yeah. you know, had well, that thing was, problems and all those things. If too. he had, like, he was going for the gusto with that, the, the, whatever that stuff was called. Fentanyl or? It wasn't fentanyl, that was Prince. Um, <laughs> it was the stuff to put you to sleep, propanol. Yeah, propanol, propanol, okay. And I can see, I, I've had propanol, you know, <laughs> I had propanol, and I can see if you can get more propanol, get some fucking propanol! <laughs> Fucking don't take it all, you know. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, I'd like to get some right now. <laughs> and, uh, but cut me off after a while. So uh, <laughs> that'll be like the soundbite, Queen. I'm talking about poop. So, um, so anyway, um, but with you know Tom, you know, he, he should have done like a residency or something. It's like you, you see a guy like Billy Joel. You know that guy. <laughs> he doesn't. He looked pretty banged up the last ten years. He's got the right idea. He shows up in Madison Square Garden, and everybody has to come see Billy Joel. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think Tom, I get, I get when I get on an airplane, right? I guess he was flying private. He would probably fly private airplanes. I don't know. I That's a good question. You know, because to get on and off an airplane now, the Kabuki Theater with the uh. people checking you, it is like I used to love to fucking travel. I hate the the questions. I'm always pulled aside. Yeah, I, I it, shudder at the idea of it's, going it's, through I'm literally my, right now, like my mitochondria are like paralyzed. It's like <laughs> it, it really, like it's like it's it's fucked up because the people because once you get on the airplane, it's pleasure because the the staff on the airplane are very nice. The pilot says hello. Now, if the TSA could imitate that behavior, yeah. I wouldn't mind it. So. I mean, if, if the TSA was friendlier, but they're just rude. They're like out and out rude. So and underpaid, from what I understand. underpaid. They're un- underpaid. They're probably tired and all that shit, you know. But they should pay them more. But there's nothing. We're not going to solve the problem here. I just you know? the idea that you're, you're in a guilty before proven innocent. You are guilty, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, they have had me a couple of times, and you know, we go back a lot of years with, with, with the, they've done to me. But the thing is, is like um, with Tom Petty getting. Like on and off airplanes, if you're his age, guys smoked like tons of cigarettes. I, I just think that you know he was traveling too much at the end. Oh, yeah, I just yeah. you know because he just didn't look right, man. You know I feel so bad. The guy was like, you know, he's only sixty six. I mean, well, I, I hear stories of musicians like them that they feel a responsibility to the uh, the band members and the whole corporation beneath them that depends on them to you know generate tour sales and all that kind of stuff. And that's people, true. You know, that's people. true. Um, I agree. I'm not going to disagree, but. Uh, <laughs> But I, I don't know if there is the people back at the Queter office that, that you have to think about, Ken. That are you I'm know I'm doing everything, man. It's like my head, my eyes are spinning around. Like, <laughs> you know, book and this, you this shit that I do now. I do these. There's like different levels of gigs. There's the basic gig, like do Irish Times. Uh-huh. Just go down. The last time I did Irish Times, I, I had been drinking all day, and I figured, fuck, I'll just take Uber, right? So I go down. <laughs> right. So. I show up. I thought I had my PA system with me. I go in. I have like a bag and it, the, the powered mixer. But well, I'm thinking the speaker. St- I left it in the fucking Uber, right? Oh, so no. then I call the Uber guy. He goes, you know, you didn't leave the speaker here. I go, are you sure it's not in the trunk? He goes, I'm telling you, it's not just. So then I go in. I'm in there I'm, and I'm like, what the fuck? I have no PA system. Just a part of the PA system, right? <laughs> this is my life. This is my life. Right? So. <laughs> So I'm in there. I figured, let me, let me figure this out. Give me a drink, right? <laughs> so the guy, the guy who runs a really beautiful cat, Eamon, he goes, I think we got something here. So I'm in like, I'm downstairs in the basement. 
and they have like these like compartments and like where all this shit's and I'm like on my hands and he's crawling behind this wall for a fucking speaker and shit like and like there's no speaker back there so I go look you know what at this point I'm going I'm so fucked up I'm not going to do the gig but I told you know I told the guy I said I'm going to go out on Saturday I'm going to find a PA system <laughs> so so I take my stuff I go out I'm figuring like I'm just going to hit Bridge of Force and drink I'm fuck this because there's nobody there they're not going to miss me right you know so then I go there I get hammered next thing you know I'm in an Uber. The last thing I remember is getting an Uber, right? So the next thing I know, I'm home in the morning. Like, I'm waking up, and my girlfriend goes, do you remember last night? I'm like, no, what happened? She goes, I was laying in bed. I heard all this noise outside about 11.30 at night. She goes, I was getting scared. I said, what was it? She goes, well, the Uber driver was out there banging on the door. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and she said he had you hoisted up over his shoulder. He was carrying me in. <laughs> Uber carrying the creeter man, carrying me into the place, into my house, into my living room. And he went out and he got the rest of you know the bag and the mic stand, uh-huh. all that shit. And he brought it in. So I said uh, to my girlfriend, I said, uh, "Did I did I tip him?" She goes, "You didn't even know where you're at." You know. <laughs> so I tracked him down the next day and I. I tipped him on my credit card, but uh, but that's that's a story. <laughs> Did you ever find the PA with it? Uh, no, no, because the PA was still. I never left. It was still. In the, it was in my house. I thought it was in the car, you know. But I, I had half the PA, you know. So you know, it was one of those things. But it was like an Uber driver. It was, I mean, this guy was an angel. He carried me in. Like I couldn't even get out of the car, you know. So so that's what happened. But you get back to Tom. Like Tom Petty is the office. Yeah, yeah. Like, I am the office, <laughs> you know. But I'm still. I've been able to keep things going, you know. Yeah. Keep things going. The lyrics are in the guitar, though. Hold on a second. Wait, they're inside the guitar. I'm not kidding. I swear to God. I drink. I drink a lot. I drink tequila. Vermouth. Sometimes I've been known to drink scotch. I stand until I fall into an object, into a wall. When I imbibe, I pick a fight. I drink and drive, but just at night. I want a schnapps, and I want it now. Don't play with me. You got it, pal. I go to bars that I memorize their opening hours and their closing times. It might seem hard, but it's it it is a cinch. And it comes in handy when I'm in a pinch. Oh, you know. I drink, I drink a bunch. I drink at breakfast and I drink at lunch. I pray to God for a happy hour when I'm hungover. 
I just take a shower. My doctor said that I'd feel great if I quit drinking for 10 days straight. Sometimes I think of what my doctor said, but then again, my doctor's dead. I lose my teeth. I lose myself. I lose my balance. Some days I look like hell. I can't remember my dear wife's name. I call her chief. Then I feel ashamed. Drinkers, they drink in dives. These are very serious men who waste their lives. Men who mean every word they say. Things they forget the very next day. I drink, therefore I am. I drink from boxes, I drink from cans, I keep a bottle and my lyrics inside this guitar. You drink with me, therefore you are. Speaking here in, in 2018, there's a, a story that has uh, really, you know, dominated the news in, in the in the last few months, and that is, you know, the sexual harassment yeah. uh, charges that have been leveled against uh, all sorts of people. Garrison uh, Killer, now it's Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. I saw that. Yeah. 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 Some really uh, disturbing uh, allegations towards uh, many of these men. Uh, where, where, you know, what, what is uh, what's your take on this? I, I've never. Running to Ken Queter, who didn't just have a take on current events. I was yeah. wondering where, you know. Everybody... Well, I mean, it's it's a big, it's front and center that that, that thing, and uh, you know, I mean, clearly, I mean, the guy when it started, I mean, it's been going on forever. And of course, you know, it's a shame. It's just a terrible thing, yeah. and uh, but the Harvey Weinstein thing is so incredibly horrible. But but then again, when that thing happened, I kept thinking of the power. Like I was like briefly sort of near the golden ring in the record industry and i remember meeting people that were you know pretty powerful and they weren't exactly high-minded individuals you know they were they were kind of manipulative now i was a guy they were manipulative they were just they were kind of telling me what to do but and i didn't appreciate it but if you're a woman and you're trying to get higher up you know i it's not out of the 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 question that these guys would i'm certainly record industry May, probably did similar things. Yeah, yeah. The movie industry, you know, did things. Now, then when you start to, like, roll that back on, like, you know, Charlie Rose and, you know, Garrison Killer and all this, I mean, I don't know these guys, you know, but I do know, like, you know, like Louis C.K. I mean, I, 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 I mean, like, guys like Louis C.K., who I, like, think is one of the funniest, talented guys in the world. I mean, to read what he did, it's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I never thought he would be that powerful to think he could get, get away with it yeah, like yeah. how do you think you can get away with that and i don't know what garrison killer did it sounded like pretty it didn't sound like anything near the level of that but um i think that um th- the people that have come forward have a you know a valid reason to come forward but i mean but i you know like 
I'm, I was, and of course, I'm thinking of me. You know? <laughs> well, I think everybody, should, every man, should be thinking yeah, about yeah. themselves and think, oh, what is my history yeah, like? Because yeah, I grew up in the '70s and the '80s, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, things were a little were loose. And uh, when you're part of a system, you know, if you, if you just follow along the way the system wants you to, you you adopt those values yourself. And I, yeah. you, you know, you really have to swim upstream to uh, to you know think another way about women or power dynamics and all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know what Charlie Rose did. I think he walked around naked in a party or something? Or? Uh, it was a lot of, uh, why don't you come back and work at my house and then I'm going to you know get out of the shower with my robe open. I don't, that's too, I mean, I'm a real fucking lunatic. Like, I wouldn't, I never thought, like, I, I just, I don't, I just never thought, like, I mean, that's, it just doesn't make sense because these guys, all these guys look straight edge. Yeah, and to, yeah. to think that, that that's like, um, that's the equivalent of putting a needle in your arm in a, in a, in a metaphorical way. Like, it's really radical. I kind of feel like uh, like just building enemies at that level. Like, you're going to, like, expose these women to all this behavior and then they're just going to go on. There's never going to be no ramifications yeah, of how that do you ever. Think that you know, yeah, because you're famous, number one. Yeah. And how do you think that that's, I, I, I don't know, what, you know, how do you think that that's not going to get back it might not get to the boss, but it's going to, it's going to be among a pool of people. They're yeah. going to say, this fucking guy, because, you know, I'm trying to think of who I might know. I mean, I know a lot of people, but I don't remember that being that kind of stuff about in, in the rock world that, you know, like, like you know, people would hook up, but there wasn't this kind of like thing come the whole thing of a shower that is too weird it's really weird i'm just like uh, you know surprised you know i'm presenting my penis here like that just like, seems like, like that's so far away from any instinct i would have yeah uh, <laughs> but it must be a compulsion i mean it, you know for them to do this over and over again I, they must be you know sexually wired that way somehow but it's so weird that they're on tv or whatever and, and um i mean the thing is like you could, I can imagine some low-level fucking bizarre pervert at like an a, a, a adult studio movie house pulling that shit, you know, like, because nobody knows who that guy is, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somebody who's in the news, I, I don't know, it must be such a maniacal ego thing to think you're going to get away with it. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know what, my thing is, I don't know why you would do, I just don't know. If you're already powerful... That's already an aphrodisiac for a certain woman. Yeah, yeah. Why would you? Why don't you just go with someone who looks like they might be? They, they might want to enjoy just be going out to dinner with you. Well, I think about it. You know, talk about all these women that you know had had these uh, uh, have been harassed like this and and have you know turned it down or whatever. But I think how many women just you know glumly went along with these things oh, and yeah. never complained and yeah. you know just you know they, that that number must be you know far outnumber the people that complained. I totally, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, like a lot of. I mean, certainly there's always been a trade-off of men and women with power and all that shit, you know, and in entertainment, whatever. Um, I'm sure that that has always existed. I mean, you know, it's like, it's almost, it's not, I mean, it's nowhere near, I mean, when you, I, I would see bands get signed, and I remember them going, they were kind of cool, then all of a sudden, I see them again, they have different wardrobe on, and they look different because they were like, tailored to be this thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not sexual harassment, but it's like, it's like behavior harassment, like do this. But with the woman, you know, it's, you know, these guys went along with it. They went, like, I knew yeah, these yeah. guys when they were like anti the man, but now they're pro the man. And, like, and the difference is that they were given a record deal or whatever. And maybe some of these actresses were promised a, a deal, but like, but not, all, I mean, but, but then when you extrapolate, when you put it out into like, you know, these other people, I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the, the shoe business probably has these same, you know, things going on. Yeah, yeah, you probably do, but I'm just saying, like, um, it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's I, you know, it's terrible. But the thing is, is, like, well, I saw Tavis Smiley tell you, he was just saying, like, like he's going to fight the allegations. We don't know what, what exactly went down. But he his thing is he wants to open up a discussion on, like, the, you know, uh, what, at what point does the behavior of people that are in a workplace, where do you cross the line? And, you know, he wants to know where that line, like that line is. Like, so I mean, he's going to fight it that way. But, but uh, you know, I'm not. What is the line? So I can go right up to the line, and but not go over. But you know what? If you want, I know people who had their own corporate, they had their own organizations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, small little tiny corporate jobs, whatever. And you know, this goes back 20 years. Like, you know, when they would interview, when you, when a guy, a guy's in charge, and he's interviewing a woman or whatever, they made sure the door was. They just. They, they respected all the sexual har- possible harassment things. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like people didn't don't know. Like, no, you no. can't, or like, like <laughs> somebody was saying, well, this is how we, we did this in the 70s. Well, no, it, it's wrong. It was always wrong. Yeah, I, I, I uh, am hosting a film series at the Rotunda out in West Philly, and um, I th- we had a book something pretty quick for uh, January, and I thought, oh, I, I always like to get something sort of, you know, uh, currently relevant or whatever. And I thought, oh, 9 to 5, that film with... Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin and Jane yeah. Fonda all about, and it's all about them getting back at their sexually harassing boss. And yeah. I thought, oh, that would probably be a, a great film to revisit, but also a sign that, you know, in 1980, I think, when the film came out, that, like, yeah, it was a, a, a real prevalent, you know, uh, oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. problem I mean, to discuss that for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, in a way, I think this is the internet too. In, in a way that uh, the corporate media, how they really controlled the con- the national conversation for years and years. Now the internet has sort of loosened up that control. And this was a uh, the reason this has become a topic of conversation was outside of the media. It was all through the social media that Me Too uh, movement and everything. Like this is a chance for the people to sort of control what the national conversation is. And you know, they they brought it to a conversation that the mass media wasn't intent on. Exactly. Up, yeah, because once know. once the Harvey Weinstein broke, that was like big deal, man. That was like huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so then, you know, people were like, I guess there really was a terror because he had like spies and shit. Oh they yeah. Were fucked with you. And I don't know about Charlie Rose, but, but I'm just saying, like, the, Sa- Salma Hamik. Uh, I saw that thing came out today. Uh, just came out and talked about you know the threats that he gave her and uh, yeah. here you think she's somebody who has a lot of power she's a famous star I mean she could take her you know projects other places but like he was able he was powerful enough to to bully her and uh, you know with real uh, career consequences and there's a lot of guys I'm sure in that business and certainly in the record business where like these guys live in the stratosphere and they're like they don't give a fuck you know they know that you're sort of starting off where you've been around for a while I mean even when you've been around for a while there's no guarantee your next thing that you do is going to be a hit unless you have the network behind you yeah. Yeah, the yeah. network's totally corrupt. So then they use that like, well, if you don't do this, this trade-off, pro, quid pro quo, whatever the fuck, yeah. uh, then you know you you good luck, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but you know, but yeah, it's fucked up. I mean, it's good that it's 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 in it's a conversation, and hopefully, you know, I would hope that I mean, some of the fucking jerks that I met in the record business <laughs> would you know not do that. Like, I mean, I, I only had it from a male point of view, but uh, I'm sure that I knew a, a girl. It's not growing, but she was like tremendous, 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 like from Philadelphia years ago. And like she really, you know, just had everything, the whole package. And she'd been around for a while. They've got a little tiny bit older. I think she was only like 26. And they, they were like lecturing her going like, you better like lose weight. You better do this. And she goes, 
I'm, 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 I'm looking good. So they go, you're in competition with 14 year olds now. Like they're gonna hire like, like, like in other words, like, like, like. You they, have a figure like a 14 year old. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. And she was like, I'll never forget that. But it wasn't just her. It was like they use this thing against you, uh, you know. And 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 they're like, they they have no um, sense of like. I mean, it's completely unfair. They have no sense of like, like you, you either deal with this or get out or quit, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and what they did does to people's psyches. It's horrible, you know. Yeah. Even though she was incredibly talented, and yeah. she never did get the, she didn't get the big time. But but I remember her in that story. But she was on the cusp. But you know. But I've heard that story. And and I mean, this this type of behavior, it's like this intoxicating power behavior, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But but it humiliates people. You know, so, but I don't know, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It has been interesting in my little corner of the world that the, this has been kind of a banner year for, for women in jazz. Yeah. That, uh, there was a big article in the New York Times just a, a few days ago about, you know, just how many you know, rising women band leaders there are. And uh, I would say probably the most sort of talked about young musician on the scene and, and not even that young, I guess, anymore, but Mary Halverson, uh, this guitar player. And she's a very, you know, kind of conventional looking, you know, uh, woman. And yet, you know, her guitar playing really speaks for itself. And she's, uh, you know, a, a, a much sought after, you know, a musician these days. And so it's been interesting that as bleak as the world is, that there's, you know, been a, a lot of real social breakthroughs that have really happened. It's like Tom Waits said, he goes, he goes, no matter what you think, you know, no matter what you think, this might stop that, might stop that. He goes, talent, it's like potatoes coming out of the ground. They're like, they're going to pop up over there. Like, it's <laughs> like, they're unstoppable. I mean, like, you know, yeah, this, yeah. This t- like, and it'll be like a wave of this particular thing happening or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's good. That's, I mean, because, I mean, you know, I mean, there's always something coming up. Yeah, you know? yeah. What are you optimistic about these days? What makes you feel optimistic at all in this very uh, uh, somewhat bleak era? I don't, I mean, I, because I'm not like a, I'm a realist, but I don't really, I don't know if I even think in terms of optimism. I just, you know, it's like, I'm just glad to be able to do my thing. And like, I'm, you know, I don't know. It's like, I guess the fact that I get out, I get to meet people all the time, that, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of, um, you know, like, like scientific discoveries, like that shit I like a lot, like yeah. artificial intelligence stories and shit like that, that, although that can go either way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they might be driving every uh, every long haul truck uh, soon. Uh, you know, I robots, just saw a thing yeah. in China. There's this new algorithm, a new computer that can identify two billion people in a matter of seconds. Uh, like the, the cameras are everywhere, like in a lot of countries. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like that's scary. Um, so uh, I, I don't know how. Op- that's not optimistic, but <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I mean, like I'm not. Like, I don't walk around droning. I'm like I don't know. I always. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel day to day lots to you know still find pleasure in and to enjoy and to be uh, enthusiastic about. But uh, yeah, uh, you know the, the the times do weigh in there as well. You know, I think that I'm more entertained by some of the crazy shit in the world. Like, I mean, that's not optimist, but I'm like, I kind of laugh. So I'm like, going, <laughs> how can that be happening? You know, it's like. I always joke about soupy sales. It's like a soupy sales world, but it's real. It makes it fucking scary, you know. Um, so I, you know, I don't have kids or anything like that. But you know, I'm optimistic for people in my family. I have kids. I, I think your kid's fantastic, I, and like he's talented, and like that stuff makes me optimistic because I don't. If I was, it, it's not like I'm optimistic. It's like I, I, 
I'm realistic, you know, but I'm always going to put one foot in front of the other, you know. The only time I would be unoptimistic is if I all of a sudden had some kind of a bad health challenge, you know, which, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I have a thing when my eyes now are fucked up. So uh, that, that, that's, I'm not, that's like, I've never, I don't have, I'm like, I'm like depressed, but it's very frustrating that I can't do certain things like at nighttime that I mean, I get to yeah, the gigs, yeah. but like, there's a certain things like I, I get bothered by lights and that, that uh, you know, I'm used to being bulletproof. So that, it really bothers me, you know. I mean, it really bothers me. So. You seem to be holding up beautifully for. Uh, I mean, I can get around. You know, I can move yeah. like the basement with the shit. I did a gig. Did I tell you the story about the propane gas tank? No. <laughs> I I did this gig. This is about a year, almost two years ago. It was like in the middle of the fucking winter, right? My buddy uh, Ed Robertson. He 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 conducted the. Uh, Elvis Presley show I did in September yeah. 21st, 1989 at Dobbs. I can remember all this shit. I don't remember these things. So, um, so we lost contact, whatever. So, so we we done things over the years, and then like he raised a family. Then somehow I got, I got to get a hold of Ed, you know. So every time I did it, I would do a gig with Ed. Something fucking weird. What ha- something nuts would happen? It was like we would do these ba- like basement gigs. I think we only did like eight gigs in the last couple of years, but. The one gig, the propane gas gig, we're like, was like fucking, I don't know, February 1st, <laughs> two years ago. Fucking cold as shit. We're playing outdoors. It was about like 11 degrees out, right? We're outside. <laughs> so, so they go, don't, and we're Are under. Are your guitars staying in tune at that temperature? Or, uh? At this point, it, it doesn't. To me, I'm going, I'm going to, we're going to do this gig, right? So. So we're outside, and there's nobody there except me and Ed. We bring our shit in. I like to get to these places early because I don't know what the fuck's up. I never know. Every gig is like, you don't know what the fuck. All I know is I see a couple fucking propane gas tanks. And then they have the the heater where they're fed into this fucking heater. And then they would turn them on so that it would be heat generated. But it's 11 fucking degrees outside. <laughs> and these are like heaters that... I don't think they were designed for this enormous tent that was going to hold 800 people. So we're just fucking around. They got bartenders there. Everybody's freezing. We're all fucking freezing. And we got to play. So then next thing you know, the 800 fucking people show up at once. Like, everybody's drunk. They're all fucked up. It's like 8.30 at night. Everybody's fucking out of their mind. So, so we're like, start playing and shit. So then Ed brought... He knew it was going to be nuts because the last couple of gigs we did, people were like stage diving. I do these gigs. People, I got, just got my tooth chipped the other day. Like, really? Call, yeah. Gr- oh, girls man. jump on stage. The fucking mic hit my tooth. You know. So, but I don't even get mad. I'm like, fuck, at least they're responding. You know? It's like, it's not like, the, it's the ultimate, it's the anti-mime trick, right? So, so, uh, so, uh, so, Ed is really smart. He goes, he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to stop the stage dive. If they stage dive, they're going to land far from me so he brings a fake a fall grand piano so he's got a keyboard here but in front of him it's like it's a fake grand piano <laughs> 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 so that whoever going to try to stage dive they're just going to land on the piano right <laughs> but right next to the fucking piano is the propane gas tank with, right? and on my side is the propane gas tank with these flames coming out of these little boxes you know so the 800 people come in, 
And all of a sudden, they're drawn to me and Ed, right? <laughs> and they're all screaming. And we're, we're, I don't even know what we were playing. Like one of my heroin or some shit, one of my fucking songs. Everybody's screaming and singing. And like, they're getting... And they're, getting next to me and everybody's like pushing me into Ed like 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 there's no like stage it's like we're on cement you know <laughs> and everybody's with like everybody's on the stage area crushing us together and then the propane gas tanks which are like five or six feet tall and it's a circumference of like 36 inches they're like that right behind you these things are full of fucking propane gas and the fucking things are wobbling the whole time you know and uh you know and then they're stage diving on his keyboards and then the, the grand piano collapses everybody we just got we just got absorbed in the crowd so finally the show we, it was like it just was so out of control that the boss said, stop, just stop playing. <laughs> like, we'll pay you. Just get out of here, right? So then, where we came in, like, the, there was, like, a driveway, because we were outdoors. You couldn't get to the driveway to move the shit out. We had to get out of there, right? So we're moving, see, like, the steps he's got? Like, see the step? We're moving shit up, like, a fire escape. The piano, you know, and amps and speakers. And we're moving the shit up the steps. In the door wouldn't open. We had to go through the window. We're like moving shit, and there's a party inside the building that we're moving the equipment into. And <laughs> everybody's in there pushing the shit out the fucking window where we're trying to push it in. I mean, um, but that, that that was a crazy game. But we finally got the we finally got everything in the building. And then we had to walk it through a, a massive party. But I don't even know why I'm talking about this. But <laughs> but but we always talk like we were all, we could not believe that the propane gas tanks didn't fall over and explode because they, they we were we, we I were, imagined you driving away and suddenly a big explosion behind yeah, we, you we were, at least we, we got paid because yeah, we, uh, we were like this we're like I'm like like the thing with the, like my heart I'm like I don't give a fuck if the guy if the fucking thing goes off I'm going down in flames I don't give a fuck I mean that's how I am I really am I'm like if it goes up it'd be a good ending clear fucking blows up with a probe it's like a perfect ending of my life you know I don't want that to happen Ed but you know but, but, but we like sometimes I communicate with him and he'll go remember the propane he always says propane <laughs> so it's just one of many gigs of like that you know so that was optimistic you know, at the end of that yeah. well I think we're about ready to, to wrap it up here okay yeah. cool I hope I brought I brought this I brought the show to you here you, you know? did yeah. As you always do, and you you are the the the, the highest rated uh, of any of my guests on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, because you, know, like you talk. I'm, I'm I've had not- poet laureates. I've had uh, television stars. I've had a Tonight Show host. But it's Ken Queter that it really brings the audience. Here. Well, I thank your audience. Thank you guys. That's wonderful. That's cool. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ken. Thanks. I love you, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Cool. <laughs> love you. Uh, propane gas. That's what you. Yeah. One, two, three, four. <laughs> That's it for today's show. Thanks to Ken for his unending exuberance and for taking out the time to talk. You can find out more at KenQueter.com. You can find him on Facebook or probably playing tonight somewhere in the Delaware Valley. Check out my next film appreciation class at Fleischer Arts Memorial in Philly, the revolutionary cinema of 1968. It's all at Fleischer.org. Hear me spitting jazz and beyond at WPRB Princeton's Mondays from 11 a.m. EST to 2 p.m. over the air and at WPRB.com. And I hope you will return for more Fun to Know.
We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time. Are you ready? We already did this Smith is on the patty, so Patty's on the Smith, so Smith is in the alley. Patty's on the Smith, so Smith is in the valley. Patty Smith, Patty Smith. I said Patty's on the Smith. 